0: This is our league, and this is your league. Broadcasting from the 55-yard line in Japan to the shores of the Great White North and everywhere around the world on Gridiron America Radio and the
1: Sports History Network. Hey everybody, welcome to From the 55-yard line. And in this episode, if, if if you listen to the last episode... Uh, you'll note that it was about three hours. It uh, began with a discussion with Fran, Dave, and I to go around. Uh, as the title of the episode is called "The Wide World of Sports." Um, so we did an hour there, and then afterwards, I did two hours with my buddy Zach Kyleman. And after we finished, Zach and I finished the show. Zach made the great, the great uh, recommendation that uh, I perhaps separate this episode out so this week at from the 55 yard line you are getting not just one but actually two episodes though if you listen all the way through the episode 40 you get the entire zach kyleman conversation and you don't get me droning on like i am now however if you only listen to that hour with dave fran and myself and tuned out after that i completely understand but with that said i would i wanted to have everybody, um, have a chance to listen to this episode with Zach where him and I, and Zach and I go way, way back. We, uh, actually many years. It's, uh, it's amazing how time flies, but I first met Zach Kyleman when he was doing the gridiron gallery pot. He was just starting out podcasting and I was an avid, loyal listener. And boy, one thing, you know, the great thing about social media is you, you, you reach out to somebody, they reach back and, Next thing you know, friendships form and and actually partnerships get made because um, with Gridiron Gallery, he was looking at the international game. And really, he was the only person covering international American Gridiron football at the time. So obviously, for those who have listened to the podcast, know that I live in Japan and then I also co-host the Gridiron Japan podcast. Well, that podcast was the result of Zach and I having a conversation and him and I, uh, well, him and I, and along with John Gunning with um, Insight Sports Japan and the Japan Times, started the podcast. It was actually, it started out with Zach and I, and Zach was the original host of the show. Um, and then after the year was over, Zach came to me and he's like, listen, I, I don't know if I can do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, man, no problem. What, what, what's going on? He goes, I got an opportunity with the USFL. And I'm like, dude, take it. So... <laughs> um, Zach stepped away from Gridiron Japan after season one and is now hosting, well, it was originally the USFL podcast. It's now the UFL podcast, and there's a link in the description of the show to that podcast where he co-hosts with the ref um, over at Pro Football Newsroom, and uh, both guys are good friends. Um, their their, Their podcast is great. They've been doing it. I mean, they are both of these guys. Um, and actually, everybody at Pro Football Newsroom, because it's just not not Zach and the Ref. It is Michael Withrop with Player Fifty Four Podcast, James Larson, and many others. To me, and and this is my opinion, they are the best guys in the business. Now, other people may have differences and different opinions with Pro Football Newsroom, not me, because um, you know the the Ref is the um, the one who founded that web uh, Pro Football Newsroom. And, uh, you know, dude, if you're out there listening to this podcast, you've always been gracious and, and very kind to me. And so I, I say thank you because you inspired me to kind of do what I'm doing now here in retirement here in Japan as I, um, you know, as we do this uh, podcast here on uh, the Sports History Network. Though, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't, I would do not, I salute anybody who is going into doing doing, doing news for alternative football and minor leagues that don't get the press coverage that they, because we, we live in a day and age now where newspapers are disappearing, where our news, our, our viable news sources are, are fading away, but we have the internet and the internet is both a, a, a great tool, but also a bad tool too, depending upon who's using it. But when it comes to sports, it is a wonderful tool and, you know, proof of Pro Football Newsroom, is that the work Zach's done, the work that the ref has done, everybody at our Sports Central, Fran, what he does, everybody at the Sports History Network is emblematic of why the internet is a great place to be, and why in this day and age, all of us can be, you know, be actually we can, can contribute to the conversation, be it as bloggers, working as journal, you know trying to be real journalists and asking the hard questions and, you know, getting your voice out there. Now, you know, at one time, you know, I remember when blogs started up and everything, they were kind of dismissed, but you know, to me, they're, they're becoming the, the one place, at least in the sports realm where we as fans can go and get our news. And, you know, our sports central is a new site. Pro football newsroom is, is, a website, you've got other news sites out there, but they all have their roots in the when back during the early days in the internet when everybody was creating a website and getting their voice out there. And so, for everybody listening, hey, thank you for all you do. And for those who did not listen to my conversation with Zach, because I'm gonna be honest with you, a three hour podcast is a lot to ask of somebody. Well, I'm doing you all a favor and I'm just giving you the Zach Kyleman conversation here for episode forty one. Great conversation. Him and our good friends, like I said, he um he he's one of those guys where when I see a news article about spring football, and well, you know, it's no longer you know, back when it was XFL and USFL would always always ask him a question going, Is this really right? you know, and he would always never, never shy away from his opinion offline and you know, it was one of those guys that I can text over here in Japan and, you know, within minutes get an answer from him because he's so easily accessible. But as I was saying, Zach, uh, Zach's work with the UFL podcast, um, you know, I, I've, I've got, I, I don't have enough nice things to say about Zach. So with all that said, Zach and I sit down in this episode, we talk the UFL. We also talk Arena Football League, which um, Zach is also, and that's the other thing too, Zach's, Zach's so involved. He also does an arena foot. He does an in, um, indoor football, arena football league podcast, um, inside the walls podcast. So, with all that said, I without further ado, this is um, my conversation with Zach Kyleman. I hope you all enjoy, and we will be talking to you more next week. Bye bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to From the 55 Yard Line. If you've hung around for part two of the podcast, you will know, and you listen to part one, you know that I am now, it's a day or later, and I'm now sitting down with my buddy, Zach Kyleman from the UFL podcast, and also the former host, and him and I both originated the Gridiron Japan podcast. Mm -hmm. And how I got, first got to know Zach was when he did his Gridiron Gallery podcast, and we've been yeah, that was during the pandemic, right, man?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for pretty much. I mean, yeah. that that's when you and I really got to meet up, was about that time. And uh yeah, I mean, Grand Japan kind of came came as a product of us meeting and getting through post pandemic, essentially. Yeah.
1: yeah. And it was just one of those things that we just like,
0: hey, that'd be kind of cool to do. Nobody's doing it. Next mm-hmm. thing,
1: and you know, here we are into year three, but we had you guys on. We had I'm sorry, we had you on. Um, God. I forget how many episodes ago. So um, I know when John was listening, he goes, it's good to hear Zach again. It was really good to hear him again.
0: It was great to be back on, by the way. Just, uh, you know, it's nice. I I still try and do my best to keep tabs with the league through you guys and anyone covering on on X, Twitter, whatever you call it. So, I mean, it's a great league still. I'm glad it's still, I'm glad the show's going stronger than ever, by the way. You know, that uh, makes me really happy.
1: Yeah, thanks. Hopefully for next season, we'll, you know, for me, it's, it was a personal challenge with, in the last, during the last two seasons, because I had a move, a move from the U.S. to Japan for last season. Then I had a move from my rental place to my condo during the middle of this season. So next season, going into next season, I think we'll be, we'll be in better position to do hopefully more. We've got a website Mm -hmm. up now. And hopefully I'll be kicking out articles with the new season coming up. Cause that was the one thing I wanted to do Very nice. was to do some sports writing, but right. you know, with everything going on in my life and also too, there was one other factor that one other thing that factored into me, not kicking out any writing and it's carpal tunnel syndrome.
0: Oh, I didn't know you're dealing with that.
1: I dealt with that. It towards the end of my career as a probation officer in the last two years, it was It was painful. And I, I I really, I I had to, you know, basically I had to suck it up and and power through it because, you know, I had to type my report (laughs) nobody else was going to type my reports up. So after I retired, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to stay away from the computer as much as possible because it's a, you know, um, roofers get it. It was, I had an ex-girlfriend. Her father was a roofer, had it really bad. And, and so I, you know, I, I knew about it, but then there was a, that moment at work all of a sudden, why do my wrists hurt?
2: Ooh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so you power Eesh. through it and everything. So, but, you know, it's I've been a, what, almost God, I, well over a year since I retired. It's gone away. So hopefully by summer and everything, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll be limber enough to start kicking out. I mean, I've got a laptop. I got them retired. I got plenty of time. So,
0: but anyway, enough
1: about me. How are things going with the UFL podcast?
0: I think things are going just great. Um, it's a hectic time right now for uh, the at least the show uh, and P- Pro Football Newsroom in particular, where we right. host the show. Um, just it's a lot of keeping up, a lot of a lot of day to day analysis and I guess documenting of what's going on to the best yeah. of our ability. Um, mostly got to give a, a lot of praise to our guy James Larson because he's been. I mean, you talk about us, like we're doing a lot right now there at PFM, but he's in like overdrive mode, making sure he's keeping up with any of the transactions, getting any insight on transactions or, uh, letter of intents that are going through with players. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're doing great. We actually just started a second show that we're going to do this season for the UFL side of things. We're calling it around the UFL, um, So basically one problem we had, and I think I mentioned this to you on the side. Um, So we do the UFL podcast on Fridays during the season. Usually in the off season, we'll do it like once or twice a month when we get some news or things we want to talk about. And what we learned during the seasons, the last two years is we don't have enough time to jump on on like a Sunday or Monday night to do good recaps. We do recaps. In a Friday episode, and I mean the week's already gone by, Greg. Right. So like, they're like for us, we're going, yeah. This this feels like we're just doing it to like pu- punch a bullet point we missed. And we have we you know we have listeners that they're dedicated people, but they're like, hey, we would love if sometime you can do like a Monday recap show or something like that. So it's not like we're going through an hour and a half slog every friday getting to the stuff we really want to hear like previews and news and right. transactions and sure enough you know we've grown pfm we have a we have a massive slate now of content creators and i've been with my my buddy the ref who has founded this thing back in 2018 he got me in in 2020 and it is amazing how the site has grown yeah. uh in just four years in less than four years time yeah. um i mean we have easily 10 to I think it's between 10 to 15 content like creators or writers on our roster right now that we right. can all use at our disposal, that are all excellent people in different things they do. Yeah. Um, and of course
1: everybody worked and that's the thing. It's a labor of love with you guys too. Right.
0: And
1: it's, you know, for lack of a better term, it's almost a second job for all you guys. It kind of is, it, it, you it know, is.
0: It, it's, it's definitely the passion project job, you right. know, like I, like I, you know, me, I have my own thing right now in Arizona that I moved down to do, Yeah. but this is the thing that I, you know, I get up for that, that specific position. Cause it's a dream position for me, by the way, where I moved to, right. but I also get up for that other part because I get to do football Yeah. content creation and now writing articles, especially this year, it's absolutely a second job. You know, right. not on pa- to me, not on paper, but mentally, it absolutely is. But in a yeah, good
1: way. and you guys are on the leading edge too, because content creation by you, know, you me, um, everybody who does a podcast, everybody who does a video cast that's what's driving things now. That's what yeah. people watch. I mean, if you're not on YouTube, which we're not at sports history now, I mean, we are on the sports history network, but it's just the audio portion of it. But if you're not on YouTube, then you know pe- if people aren't watching you on YouTube, they're not seeing you. I mean, podcasts are great from when you're on the go, which, you know, mm. obviously, when we first started this, I mean, you had just started doing. you I remember back in 2020, you just started doing the video and just to see how things have like progressed with very much you guys, all the other guys covering the XFL, the USFL, and just to see all that, and as an older guy, I just kind of sit back and I go, you know what, I remember reading a book one time that predicted where we were going, and here we are. Well, so.
0: yeah, the talk about it, it nailing on the head. I, and, I mean, look, I think it's just also the interest in the, sp- in the sport outside the NFL has grown too. You know, um, not everyone talks about it, but, you know, funny enough, the Alliance of American Football's fifth-year anniversary is coming up next month at least the start date Yeah, wow that that was
1: five years ago yeah think about
0: that and you know i do you know the more you look into it and you kind of see how hindsight is 2020 and you see how that was kind of like the, the martyr that really kicked things off i i know that some will say that xfl 2020 is like the one that really like catapults it but like the AAF was like really well respected and got people hyped up for the XFL right, the next yeah. year in its own category. And it kind of kicked off this current, I think I call it the golden era of football right now yeah. that we're in like 2019, yeah, I agree. not just the NFL with its top ratings and everyone even more so invested in it than ever possibly going to maybe even put a team someday in the UK. But like, you know, we're just talking options here, you know, right. like, people like recognizing, Oh my gosh, look at all these places. I can go see football if I'm beyond just the NFL, because the more you get hardcore fans and the more fans getting attached to it, they want more of it. And I think we're seeing that at least they're interested in it, you know, and here we are once again, the UFL, it feels like is now five years later. It has that kind of hype around it, like the AAF and the XFL 2020 did back at the time, like, I think I've seen more casual fans talk about it like that. Okay. And, you know, we're five years in, and the AAF, I mean, indirectly as it died, kind of yeah. helps kick off what we're all doing around. The Arena Football League's back again. And it yeah. died in November of that same year, funny enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Everyone forgets that note that around Thanksgiving is when the AFL had pulled everyone out of the offices in their, in, their five, in their six cities, and then they tried to – see if they could do a traveling tour style of system. And then they had to ax it because of pressure okay. from bankruptcy issues and debt.
2: Okay.
1: Now and we're going to talk about the AFL in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Um, but with spring football. So when you're talking, that's the thing, nobody really talks too much about the AAF when we're talking spring ball. Well, and of course is, you and I are, are in those. And I think we're at a point now where thank God, I'm going to be honest with you. I am glad I'm hopefully the XFL versus UFL fan base that battle is over and done with because it was, it, it was wearing me out. It was wearing anybody who was on social media. It was back and forth. And, you know, bottom line is we all want spring football. We all want football. We all want spring football to succeed. And just to see, I kind of equated it to, and there was a point there where I, I there was a Jerry Seinfeld line that
0: made oh, me, this uh, will be I'm, I'm yeah, good. I'm there up was a good, I'm a for Seinfeld Jer- anything. There so. was a
1: Jerry Seinfeld line that was in my head as I'm watching these arguments. And the the quote is: Hey, we're rooting for laundry. We're rooting for the logo. Because <laughs> if somebody asked me who's so... I mean, I, I could I mean the players with the the players in both leagues were never gonna were not household names. The only people that really knew these names were the hardcore fans like you and I. But ultimately, when the league started up like okay guys you're just rooting for a logo at this point but now yeah. here we are into the first season with the ufl but really what are we season
0: would this be season
1: if we're with the usfl season i say if three, you're starting with the
0: usfl this would be year three three mm-hmm.
1: and then xfl you got year two mm-hmm. so you've got some names you've got some recognition and the um, at least with the xfl they kept the markets that were the strongest. Now I don't really know much about how that decision came down with the USFL markets. And so do you have any insight as to how this all came about where really, you know, we had five XFL teams and only three USFL teams.
0: Well, I will say that there's, there's a caveat to that because I know you'll see there's a little overlap. So on it, so you like, look, the XFL one, I think is pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Um, Honestly, those four the four markets that aren't named Houston were all the highest selling ticket markets and in right. most interest. So, like yeah. that one right out of the gate, you go, Oh, yes, absolutely. Part and also you look at the merger, and I think one I think just based on the fact both of them are talking what best worked for each one. I'll be honest with you, if they were the since they went to the XFL hub system, which for those that maybe listen to your show and don't know. What that is, is they, they go and they live in Arlington, Texas. This is what's going to happen this year. They're all going to have the players and coaches personnel. They're all going to live in Texas and they're going to practice in Texas. They're going to get ready for the weeks in Texas. And then they're going to fly out or drive out to their home stadiums for every week is the plan. They want the engagement of the in stadium experience with the benefits of having workers comp and travel benefits from dallas being an airport hub and texas being light on workers comp from what i understand Ooh,
1: i didn't know that yeah
0: well that in texas at least okay. taxes the workers comp thing don't totally quote me on that but well, well just it's, based it's... on my arena football knowledge <laughs> i would have to guess the workers comp ain't too right. bad in texas just being clear and if we're talking aaf remember uh the orlando uh apollos had to practice in georgia because of workers comp issues i so i
1: forgot about that yeah yeah i just
0: i remember yeah if you if you want to talk about three keys to running a football program or football program ever since i've gotten in and started really digging into this stuff workers comp taxes and travel are always going to be the bane of your existence Okay. doing football so They wanted to do a travel hub and they also apparently the XFL owns a, at least some sort of, in some sort of way owns a chunk of Choctaw stadium to where they can run the operations out of Choctaw stadium, whereas the USFL was renting their properties, you know? So basically they kept the four, the five, well, the four best markets. And if you want to count the Houston one, the five best markets in that way from the XFL side. That okay, we're not so th- travel crazy and we're in a centralized area.
1: That gets me to my one question, and I nobody that I know of that I've seen on social media has answered this question for me. Okay, so they kept, and I'm I was a Roughnecks fan, so I'm yeah. happy with the Roughnecks stand. But here's my question: You also had Houston Gamblers. Couldn't they right. have just taken the logo off one helmet and slapped it out and just call them the Gamblers, and keep them in? the, Even though they're. I, to me, to me, that was the one thing about this whole thing that did not make sense. I know you had fan base, but um, team, I get I, you know again, I'm confused. So what what no, what's your I under- take
0: on that one? I understand honestly. If you want me to be uh as crystal as I can be, I I think that the pressure from just having the roughnecks be in the city and being the recency biased team since they had two really okay. good rosters over the past. Four years yeah. um between 2023's iteration that won their conference right or at, one, at least one was top dog in their conference up until they lost the cha- their conference championship game and then the five and oh roster that everyone knows pj walker from you right. know that him him getting his way to the nfl and really putting spring players on the map again i, I think that's why you know the gamblers right. do you know look i i talked and you know, I think you kind of know this. The ref is based out of Houston. He lives in Texas. Yeah. And so he has a really good thumb on like that. There are gamblers fans that are still down in Houston when he's talked to them. But I think the roughnecks being an, an XFL brand and it being more recent and more it in carried the carry. More cachet. Recently. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's the deal. It, it just okay. has a little more cachet. Plus, I mean, you got look. You look on on Facebook like I do. I mean, you got people signing petitions to keep the brand around. I mean, the it was probably the best decision they made was to okay. just appease to that group of fans and grow that brand anyway. Now the kicker is, and here's where this ties in, is to also why you know the USFL doesn't, you know, on paper it doesn't have four. Right. The the kicker is, it has the head coach and this and the roster of the Gamblers there. So, okay, okay. The well, the exist, but yeah. it is not Wade Phillips's roughnecks. It is Curtis Johnson's roughnecks. Okay. And Wade Phillips they retained because, well, they let go Heinz Ward in San Antonio. And so basically, him right. and his staff now retain San Antonio's roster.
1: And I think that got lost in the noise.
0: Yeah, it was very confusing how they did it, but it was to, as they said, 50 50 split. They really wanted to make sure it was 50 50 on the personnel front. Okay. In that regard, I like, guess the brands aren't 50, 50 split. I love the gamblers brand and it's a shame that it might not come back right. even in any scenario where this league exists again, it would have to be like a completely new city, but yeah. you know, well, I mean two personnel's at- there. So they, they did, yeah. they did the best they could for trying to do merge slash cost saving right. to go well, to eight.
1: And looking at, you know, just looking back with history when it comes to merging leagues and everything, Back in 1970, when the NFL and the AFL merged, you know they grabbed three teams from the NFL and brought them over to the a- you know, to put them in the AFC. Though it is curious with that, because you, know, you had the Colts and you had the Browns, which were originally AAFs, you know, All American Football Conference teams. Mm-hmm. Now you had Pittsburgh going over there, which was a, a very back then a very interesting choice. And, you know, Pittsburgh went because Cleveland, they wanted to keep, you know, I mean, it was the Rooney without the, you know, it's the Rooney. So they're like, yeah, we're going to go over. But back then, Pittsburgh did not have a winning tradition. Right. It would have made sense for the 49ers actually to go to the All-American, go back, go into the AFC just based upon the age of the franchises from the, from the original NFL. So. So seeing this come about with the UFL and how they did it, yeah, okay, it makes sense. And you've explained it to me. Okay, now I get now I get it more than I did when I, you know, really hit the record button here because I really wasn't clear on that in terms of just kind of all that decision making and how it went down and
0: yeah. Know. I didn't I mean even I and this is like the one correction I've made a video on on uh, our own our own social channels. Is I said it wrong on the episode and I had to correct myself because I was like that's not like I originally said that it was they took uh Wade Phillips's team to San Antonio like the roster and the coaching staff and kicked the Brahma's entire roster and coaching staff out. Like okay. like it shows you just how like it seems so backwards in my head and right. the only thing I could equate it to and you'll love this reference is the 1984 trade between the rosters of the of the wranglers in arizona yeah and the chicago blitz and that's even more extreme but like that's the closest thing i can think of as to how this makes any sense as you went well that's not the original roughnecks roster but it's it says it's the roughnecks right you know, yeah, it says yeah, that that's yeah. the roughnecks and the brahmas are like well it's it's still the brahmas it's just the differences they we didn't lose the brahmas roster it's only the coaching staff yeah. that switched around that time <laughs> You know, but yeah. you see what I'm saying. It's like right. it's just close enough to where I can equate that instantly in my head that way.
1: Well, and you know, too, as I'm as we're talking about this, I'm thinking. I mean, I started rooting for the Roughnecks because I love the original Houston. I mean, you can't see it here, but I got a Houston Oilers penning up here in the in the, in the man cave, and you know, so they came out. What the 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 helmets were great. Then the NFL went and sued them and everything. It's like yeah, yeah, oh, all yeah. this is great, but you know the one thing that i wish the roughnecks would bring back from the Houston Oilers days is the love you blue slogan cuz i don't I, I the question is well you can hashtag anything i mean that's not really i mean you can copyright.
0: you you, you right. can i think it, it it's when you put it on a graphic and you start yeah with yeah it.
1: i just wish you know it'd be the, the old man in me who who finally remembers watching Earl Campbell plow through the 77 Dolphin or 78 Dolphins on Monday night football with that love you Blue. it was that was a special era in Houston and to see the Roughnecks come back and it's like okay you know they're the Oilers a Roughneck is an Oiler mm-hmm. you know i mean so they honored that and then the helmet was great and everything so yeah i just wish they would bring back the Columbia the 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 color scheme and love you blue slogan though with the color scheme we all anybody who's who's paid attention to college sports knows that the university of houston apparently got sued or got a cease and desist yes. on that one
0: i wish badly that the adams family in the nfl would just uh, they're using it now thank god because they removed the whole uh shell helmet shell rule that existed for several years and yeah. it was originally a safety measure and now they Ever since they re- re- reversed it, I'm like, thank God, you can actually honor the Oilers instead of saying, well, we sell some merch every once in a while and we impose lawsuits at random because that's how I viewed it for years. Yeah. Like when the Roughnecks did it, I'm like, that was like some people's thought I was like, oh, oh crap. Are, are they going to get a lawsuit? And sure enough, they did. Right. And then, you know, they revamped the logo. I actually like the new logo better than the old one with the H being more pronounced, but it still is an oil rig. Yeah, you know, it just doesn't look like that. My thing is, is, I wish you could do the powder blues, but I know that they would instantly get sued just like oh, yeah. University for doing that. But yeah. it looks so good, and the city, you know, the history behind that is so disorienting. Well, for I mean, how the how the Oilers originally moved out of the city anyway,
1: right? And you know, then with the, and with the final kick in the teeth with Houston is when the Texans went to play the Titans and the Titans put on their Houston
0: oiler outfits. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of, kind of wild. It is, you know, but anybody, I mean, thank God those things can still exist. Like I said, if if they didn't change the shell rule, I mean, that would be like my first ever, that'd be one of my first ever petitions is going, give, give up the rights to the Oilers, like color scheme or something, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, do we know if if you know we're kind of getting off topic? But do we know, know if know. the 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 color scheme is going to stick around at least on the
0: college side? So, wait on the college side, you mean? Yeah, with the Houston,
1: University of Houston. I actually haven't it?
0: looked up what the, what's going okay. on with that, but I think they have to. I think, I think they basically did back down. Although, really? what's funny is there was no lawsuit for Rice because Rice did really, I mean, yeah if you look this up rice last year also did a powder blue color scheme and did a tribute to the oilers but they didn't get shot down oh, okay by the by the tech by the tennessee titans or the nfl they were left alone i think it's because the cougars were in the big 12 where it's bigger money and more viewership
1: oh, okay
0: that the nfl went okay enough's enough and they they basically had to go and talk to that school, but yeah. yeah, rice, rice was, uh, they did it too, but they didn't get hmm. any flack for I, it.
1: I completely yeah. missed that news. But then again, over here in Japan, when it comes to college football, it's really hard for me to watch college football, especially with watching the prime time. Well, just watching pro football in the States over here in Japan as a challenge because, you know, I've got to get up, you know, to watch a bears game, you know, I got to get up at two in the morning or three in the morning and, and i'm just that ain't happening with me so i miss Mm -hmm. out on a lot of the college stuff but yeah i didn't i didn't know about what rice did
0: yeah i'm gonna drop that in our i know we're talking on zoom i'll actually i should be able to drop it right in a little chat here yeah so i'm gonna do that while we're talking uh, because i did just find it and like i said it's it's pretty good mock-up it's just that like i said it's because they're a smaller school they're in i think it's the uh they're in the aac so you know not really uh Big need to go and smack down the AAC schools. Yeah, I mean, it's right, yeah, different. It's 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 a little bit different up where you can like get away with it, I guess. <laughs> but still, like you can tell it's Oilers uniforms.
1: And Rather, uh, yeah, I'll, it hasn't popped up yet. Yeah, I'll I'll. Uh,
0: yeah, you you'll what, see it what, what right I, now. I'm posting it right now.
1: So with yeah. that question, so since we're talking football fashion, so there's a rumor that I saw going out with the UFL. They're redesigning a lot of the uniforms.
0: That's the rumor going around. At least uh, it's been implied by head coach Anthony Beck. He's gone on local radio and has said several things, including the fact that uh, one of the bigger ones is that the, uh, apparently the USFL kickoff seems to be favored right now as the front runner to be the retained kickoff rule set. Um, And then they're still trying to diversify the rules, but like, yeah, the uniforms, it sounds like are on the table for being at least touched up. I don't know how drastically, because, I mean, both leagues took a complete, you know, took a complete different approach to uniforms. The XFL wanted to be, like, a lot of innovative in terms of, like, textures and, like, stylization with the helmets and all that. And yeah. the unis were a specific pattern with, like, the little, I think, like, certain croppings. And, then, you know, the USFL wanted to do it, like, as close to the OG uniforms as possible with, like, a modern flip to it for the most okay. part. It sands the showboats because I think, I think the Showboats—they just wanted to match more the Memphis like Grizzlies color scheme. Oh, that
1: okay—that explains it because I could never quite get my head around why the yeah. Showboats were all of a sudden. I mean, like, okay, wait a yeah, minute. Yeah, I mean, it was not...
0: more—it was more city branding. That was what they were trying ah, to do. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, because I when I saw them, like Show like, oh, that's not the Showboats that I know, and I was like, okay, well. If if the showboats wanted me as a fan, they kind of I'm I'm a I'm a football fashionista, so they lost me on that with the uniforms. But no red
0: and silver, and no red silver white. You know, no Reggie White flashbacks with these. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, and but yeah, yeah, because when it comes to football, you know, I mean that people don't realize how important getting the uniform right is for a team. Because if you're going to attract the young fans, that's the first thing that they lock into is how cool are the uniforms i know that's how it was for me back as a kid when i first saw the dolphins uniform and even to a certain extent the arizona the original well st louis football cardinals uniform Mm -hmm. which is why i be i i'm still a huge fan because of that for whatever reason that that you know as they used to call it the chicken head on the on the helmet chicken head uh, You know, it just it spoke to me. So, but yeah, getting the the uniforms right, I would think, because that's going to be the next thing we have rolling out, right? I mean, we've got the schedule getting rolled out yet?
0: No, schedule's not out either. That's actually probably going to be the next thing is the schedule, Um, which I we were at least us at PFN were thinking it it was seeming like it was going to be out this month. Um, There are a few times it was like we were expecting it to be out on a certain week. And it just hasn't happened. But okay, you look at like how the USFL has done it in years past with tickets, and even the um, XFL. As long as they get it out two months in advance, that's like the threshold. It seems it's not ideal, but right. as All long right. as they have like a roughly two months leeway to start selling the tickets properly, that are yeah. single game, like they're still doing season tickets and deposits. Actually, right. doing season tickets for every venue except for Houston, which is possibly part of the equation is that they have not finalized their venue yet is we're still waiting to see what the official Houston venue is. There's rumors, right? Well, that that it might be rice stadium that have been flying around for. Yeah. I saw
1: those rumors. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's not finalized.
1: That gets into my next question here with the league, the combined league, because my big issue last year was with the XFL was the leadership and the way some things came off with, you know, first of all, I mean, you and I had this discussion at one time. You know, it's great if The Rock is out there, but I don't need to see The Rock on my TV every other five minutes selling something. Yes. And Danny Garcia, you know, um, I don't know how tight you guys are with the with the new leadership of the ex, of the of the UFL, but to me, you know, is she still gonna is she gonna be? the head of this
0: who's in charge
1: i guess uh, and Yeah, okay. that's really kind of where i'm I, i'm go answer me that and then i guess i got i'll have follow up questions on no, that no it's fine so, so
0: i guess a little recap of how this merger works so again it's supposed to be 50-50 of the ownership groups between the two so fox owned 100% of the usfl so they're going to own in theory and again this is just how they have phr- how they phrase these together you know i don't know if this is actually the split but you know that that one half is all fox sports that owns it you know so that's the usfl side they were the only ones that invested in the usfl so fox sports as you know is like one of the majority big wigs owning this yeah the other side of this the main people you know redbird capital that's where jerry Cardinale comes from they had the majority stake by far in the xfl they owned like I want to say 80%, but that is just uh, I just a uh, rough remembrance. I know it's not anywhere close to like a 60-40 between like The Rock and Danny and Redbird. Like Redbird owns and basically is the big, big hoss that was running the XFL operation and kind of swinging around. Danny and Dwayne both own chunks, but they're more okay. PR faces. And Danny was more handling, I think, league operations side last year where she would do behind the scenes like work,
1: you okay. know,
0: but she's, she's an owner, but she's a minority owner. They're both like minority owners in the grand scheme of it. Um, really Redbird and Fox are the ones that are more throwing weight around uh, to say the least, but Dwayne Johnson and Danny do have a slice in more of the PR angle and help with executive items and decisions in the background is their deal. Okay. Um, now that might not be the same because you're right. One thing the XFL definitely did last year that, also got to me and many others is it became the rock league. And yeah. like, I, I understand Dwayne Johnson is a mega star. I understand he pulls quite the crowds, but the message I felt by mid season got very lost. And you could tell in the television marketing for the league, ABC, like, well, ESPN, Disney, I, I know I'm going through entities, but like Disney themselves, who they partnered with for the TV, ESPN, ABC networks, FX, the promos started altering to less of the rock and Danny in the promos more about the football. And some of that could come because they had footage, but the message really shifted to becoming less about the rocks league and more about this is a quality football league. And you can see in the UFO marketing so far, since they officially announced this at late December, like the rocks in there, you know, like all the promos on Fox have his voice on it. Yeah. You know, and he, and he does have say that whole line from week one and he does have a great baby.
1: and he does have a great voice. We can't, you know, right. he's, right. no, he's a great,
0: he's a great PR tool, but you can't yeah. overuse him. You know, yeah. you still have to have the message of this is a quality football league. We're trying to promote football right. and innovative football. And so this time they're using him, but they're doing it the way they did by mid year last year. He's in the promos, but You still think it's about football first. This isn't about, this doesn't come off as the Dwayne league, like player 54 player 54 was to many, especially in our own net, our own community was like basically a player's documentary that focused heavily on Danny Garcia and Dwayne Johnson for possibly little to no reason at times, Yeah, but it still did because they own the league and it's a rock vehicle at that time. Now yeah. it's definitely more about he's investing and he'll help in PR and executive decisions, but trust me, Redbird and Fox are calling the shots and are running this. They want this to be a sports property that takes off. I mean, Redbird thought that they could get this to be like a top six, top five property challenging MLS with the XFL. So that's definitely the vision. They want to be a top five entity. And, in this and, country.
1: and, and, and with that said, I'm curious as to how they figured that out. Cause I mean, you and I, and I've said this many, many times, that hope is not a plan. And I know, I know. What, what's the, I mean, with the business model, I mean, have you seen in your talks with anybody, anybody who has said, hey, you know, we've studied the market, we know uh, this about the market. I mean, I remember when the original USFL was proposed and everything, that there were some studies done saying, yes, there's an yeah. appetite for spring football. But when it came to, and again, we're going back, you know, like you said, earlier about the AAF were there studies done by any of these leagues that's to say hey here's what the market here's what we we're pretty sure the market is and here's how we need to here's here's where we start and here's where we can go from there have you ever seen or have you ever seen anything that resembles a business plan for any of the leagues
0: I mean my 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 understanding of this business plan is they're basically taking what worked from both and trying to make it completely work. So the lessons
1: the learned basically is there, is there kind yes. their kind of a lesson plan?
0: So, so look here, here's the thing that I keep getting and, you know, both of them took a little bit different approaches. We know that they both did hubs, but they were extremely different hubs, right? You know, the USFL took the approach of we're only doing certain financial investments into certain things to add funds into it if it makes sense and we can not go into the red like fox was hell bent and still is i mean still is but like especially given the fact that they were running a league by themselves as a tv company they were hell bent not going into the red fox and i i've done a lot of research on fox as a company yeah they're very you know ever since they've sold money or ever since they sold 21st century studios to disney and all the some of their assets from tv and movies to become like a news and television company in Mm -hmm. particular you know they're very careful with how they spend you know they do take risks but they are controlled risks a lot of the time okay so you know they did put in 150 million dollars for three years was the original but like when you consider like vince mcmahon's original proposal 500 million like that's pennies, uh, that's pennies of dollars or drops in the bucket. And it's because they didn't, they don't want to go into red. You know, they, right. they want to maintain, you know, a steady profitability. And also they have to appease to investors yeah. in their company. And if investors see it's a money loser, they're going to get pressured to back away. So, you know, that's why you see Fox, how they reported, you know, yes, both years of the USFL was profitable for Fox. They made money off the league both years, but and I think no joke and no joke. I think my dad said it best when we were on vacation this past December, because he was asking about it and he started talking. I personally think, and he put it best that Fox saw the tunnel and went, I think we've maximized where we can go before it gets too risky yeah. to then start losing dollars because they did go out to four hubs. Now they, three of them were the home hubs you see right now that are left Memphis, Michigan, and Birmingham and you know all of them combined did pretty solid Memphis was a good market last year Michigan you know it's a bigger NFL market but like by their standards it did well Birmingham a lot of people tell you at least fans there and you know even the eye test will tell you that one might have not performed as well as it was expected to be given that it was the hub for the first season entirely and I think my I think that summarization is they might've felt like they maximized their potential. And I also believe that between the two leagues and given their mission that they want to sell these franchises to people that want to buy in and they just want to then sell them off so they can run the league itself. I think both realize that both competing against each other completely diminishes the chances of selling these franchises to people, because here's the deal. You're in a market that's niche right now. First off, it's not super niche like arena football, but it's niche. You know, it's still spring football, still isn't fully accepted by casual fans in a football ecosystem. Second off, you have a niche market with two competitors trying to sell you the same thing that hasn't worked in its history. Yeah. And, and I'm, and I was thinking about this as my dad's talking about this. And I'm like, this just makes so much sense. Why would I want to go buy something? From like, say I want to buy the maybe not the Battlehawks. Battlehawks I think would be very sellable. Say I want to go buy the uh, Roughnecks. We'll go with that. You know, Houston's been solid. But if I'm sitting here and I'm looking at that, and you're, and you're a bank, an investment bank that the XFL hired, much like the USFL hired their own, and they said, hey, this is a pretty good deal. You know, you can you can get pretty good value. It's not like billions of dollars like an NFL franchise. You're getting, you know near million viewers a game on your games and you know you can start this thing out in the spring you don't have much competition it's great but then you're the investor that's smart and you go that's cool and all but uh what about the other league how can you guarantee that you guys will survive and that one doesn't thrive and i think that's what is not being talked about enough is i think that that was part of the end game they're going you know what we kind of have to do this. If both of us want to have the same vision, if both of us want to sell franchises, we kind of have to be the only game in town selling the franchises. Right. Because you can't give them another option or worry for a property that has not succeeded. You have to be the only game in town to do that.
1: Yeah. That makes, and that makes, that makes absolute sense. Though it does make me wonder, you know, I mean, here we are. I mean, Why didn't they, these two leagues think of that before, however, but like you said, it's their, their, their business model appears to be learning from the recent past.
0: And thus lies the other threshold, I think, and going even turn the clock back to, uh, July 2nd this past year, you know, after the USFL championship ratings come out, both average between cable and broadcast TV within 2000 viewers of each other if one of them flat out beat the other and I'm talking like, say we're talking like, I would say a hundred thousand plus say one was easily a hundred thousand plus, or maybe even like a quarter, like 25% more. I think they keep going separately and they try and dog it out. And the other one starts talking, but I think because they were so dead, even, like you can even tell Daryl Johnson went out and publicly said he was surprised how low the USFL TV numbers were for a second year league because they had the broadcast partners they had with NBC and Fox. And I think it's because they, they both went and said, you know what? These numbers, I don't think you're going to move much more unless we just eliminate the options. I mean, even the fan base discourse, you know, that still shows a split. You're taking markets and saying, right. well, do you really want to watch like the USFL when you've got, St. Louis in your backyard, you know, Memphis who are just down the way off the Mississippi river. Do you really care about the battle Hawks? If you have the showboats right in town, like th- this is what you're dealing with. You remove those barriers. Now it's, oh, now you're invested entirely in all this, you know, more travel yeah. opportunities, more eyeballs, the ratings in theory will look so much better to an investor and to advertisers and folks that want to get in. Because they want to get back up to those 2020 numbers. I mean, we're talking like XFL was hitting a million a game easy, you know, and they did it where everything was what the fans wanted. You know, the USFL, yeah, they had one season alone, but remember the hub, the hub had so much impact on the perception of how this was viewed that I almost feel like that. Well, not almost, but you can tell, you know, that perception one out i thought they would go away i was wondering if it would go away you know but even the hardcore fans that i thought would ignore it a lot of them they couldn't look past it and i think this is part of that whole trend they want to get back to that xfl 2020 look you know it's the only game in town it's the most professional second game in town it has everything you want from a football league in the nfl but it's just not the nfl that's it that that was what the xfl was it promoted itself well and had everything an NFL fan wants in terms of comfort. That's the goal. Secondly, besides selling the franchises is get those ratings, the comfort levels for fans to go with it.
1: So do you think they're in a good position to basically recapture that magic of 2020?
0: I think right now that I'm mostly on the side of yes, because of the, some of the metrics I have been given from people that are running a lot of the community groups that handle yeah. this also a lot of the social postings. I, I've seen, I think a lot of people I've talked to, we see a lot more of the NFL fan talking about the league again, much like how the XFL was talked about three years ago. Well now four years ago leading in because you keep in mind, it's the only advertisement on ABC and, and on Fox. One thing the USFL couldn't get. And I think this was another thing that was a failure was not a failure, but something that was a missed opportunity. And it's just because of the relationship they had. NBC was a third party and they almost treated like you, the USFL like they didn't give a, a damn about it. Like there were never promos on there. There were maybe banners once in a while about it, but yeah. you wouldn't, I mean, you would watch it, but the advertising was so minuscule compared to like what it is now. Like ABC and Fox on FS1 ESPN, and Fox and ABC channels, I mean, they're going hardcore into this, Greg. Like it is consistent. Yeah, because yeah, you're, yeah. Right I'm now.
1: glad you mentioned that because you're seeing what I don't see. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously here in Japan, I can, you know, yeah. I've got, I can watch yeah, on yeah, the zone. I can watch America.
0: It's consistent barrage. Any sporting event right now, especially right. ESPN, where you can say, hey, you know, it is a combined multiple networks are on one, one page. So. Right. You, you can kind of like, you don't have to worry about, yeah, you don't have to worry. You can take networks. Yes. You can take a UFL ad and make it generic and slap it anywhere else. And it can be a promo that, that is all it is. So, you know, it doesn't have to be about, you know, like say, uh, like how Fox was doing it where, yeah, the Fox is doing Fox centric promos, but they would never advertise the NBC games. Right. Which I felt was a mistake, by the way, I felt like they should have been advertising all the games across network. But they didn't do it that way. I don't know why, but it feels like this time around, it's going to be a cross network, which is so much smarter because it keeps every audience on every channel in line. Okay. You're not just assuming it's on Fox. You're not associating, oh, it's just Fox. And you're leaving some people that maybe forget it's on NBC or USA, yeah. like they did in the USFL or vice versa to a degree-ish. This time it's like, oh, I know where it's at. I got right. four channels. Well, They've been advertising four channels the entire time. And it's the same ad on all four of the channels.
1: And that was like my biggest hangup with the XFL because you had to go, if you got to go look for something, you're not going to get the average viewer.
0: Well, why would I go to I FX? Mean, that, like that, that was no, my thing, you know?
1: Yeah. But it's like, you know, if you're, if you're a guy hey, I want this X, where do I find it? And if you're, and if you got to spend time scrolling your phone, I mean, everybody's got a phone. So it, we're, it, the finding stuff now is way easier than what it used to be when oh, I grew yeah. up. Oh yeah. Um, but just still, you know, trying to get that casual fan. So last year, I think it was during the summer. It was after the season. Um, I sat down with our buddy, Mike Lathrop, with the Player 54 podcast.
0: Great dude, by the way. And also Love part him. of PFN, too. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Another great asset to our team. Absolutely. And
1: he's, he's you know, he's he is had me on a show twice. I brought him in, uh, what was it, a month ago to sit down with him and Tim Hanlon to talk, you know, as the title of the show goes can America ever love spring football? So when Mike and I sat down the last time on a show, he needed, he wanted to get the international perspective about the XFL because mm-hmm. there were promises made that the XFL was going to be a big thing. And
0: then they certainly did make it that way. That it was Yeah. And, and,
1: and, and as I, and I had to burst the bubble going, yeah, nobody's heard of the XFL in Japan because it, nobody's heard of the X league in Japan. So it's not, it's a non entity to be able to watch the XFL for a guy like me. And then really anybody who has cut, who is basically, you know, doesn't have an antenna. and doesn't have cable. Cause that's kind of the way, you know, people are, are cutting the cord with cable, switching over to an antenna. People are going to that, but the technologies are changing with antennas, with ATC three 3.0 coming up standards and everything. So to be able to watch the XF I'm sorry, to be able to watch the UFL this coming season, is it predominantly going to be, they've got the over the air set that they've got, they're going over the air for most of the games or has that been decided yet?
0: Yeah. I don't know enough. Um, because they haven't, so they, they've told the main, they've shown the main four channels, but there's no, there's nothing revealed yet on what their digital plan is. Uh, if we're looking at, I think like digital assets that both companies own. So Fox is heavily invested in Tubi. That is their big like play for anyone that doesn't know Tubi is a Fox owned entity. It is a free streaming service that they have been running. It's like one, it's like one of the top 10 most watched streaming services. Yeah. It's it's
1: basically the Fox version of Pluto TV, which is a CBS version of Tubi.
0: Free advertised supported television. Fast is what it's called. So Fox has Tubi. They did put both seasons of the USFL on Tubi for games that were Fox games. So that was their plan. But the thing was, unlike what ESPN did, they wouldn't put the games on immediately after air. Fox was a little weird. They would do, if you wanted to watch the games immediately after they aired, you can only watch it on foxsports.com or the Fox Sports app with a table with a cable subscription package login
1: right and that's, they and that's it was, completely what screwed me because yeah and it, it was anything. to push
0: it's to push their app it's basically yeah. like hey our app has this it's on demand stuff for you so like here you go but they would put on all the games later after the season that's what they've done both years espn and via disney their plan with the xfl was let's just post the games immediately after they're done on ESPN Plus, because the way they did it, and this is how I watched all the XFL games, or ones I did watch until the USFL season, when I had to start covering the USFL more closely, is any game that's XFL, they had on ESPN Plus. It didn't matter if it was over-the-air television on ABC, or ESPN, or FX, or ESPN2. As long as you had that, like, eight, at the time, $7.99 subscription a month, you could go on there, click a game, and watch a game. And I'll admit, that was pretty sweet. I actually did like it. I oh yeah. That's, that's that, the way I watched it. Yeah. I mean, there are some people claiming that like ratings were hurt because of it. I have no idea how many watch, but let's, but I'll be frank with you just because my industry is TV. Yeah. Like audiences like that for stuff like that are minuscule. And that is just doing my research on well, that that's yeah. why a lot of streamers don't report numbers at times well, that's
1: what every that's what always got me last year with the reports you know and I, I made it a point i'm not making a point here not to name names of in the in the xfl old xfl usfl ufl media but when i would right. even see hey but we don't know the streaming numbers i would always say well if they knew the streaming numbers you know th- th- that was always what people hung their hat on with the ratings
0: if they were significant enough they would have said something in a pr like espn always does yeah them saying nothing shows you that it didn't have that much impact i mean right? and that's and that's probably on the on the upper end because peacock i imagine was not exactly the uh usfl cash cow for mbc either but you know it added an extra part of their package yeah but that, but that's the thing you know they're it's great for like access but it doesn't bring in all the viewership ratings. It doesn't bring in the
1: cash. It, it doesn't bring in the casual viewer, which is what the league needs if mm-hmm. it's going to if it's going to grow. Because, you know, they use the NFL for as an, a good example, back in the 1950s, it was that game. You know, I mean, we could I could have an argument as to which game right. was, but everybody talks about the 1958 NFL championship, which attracted the casual viewer, and that began. The golden age of of football in America on TV, yeah. And so, yeah. in order to get, I mean, they've listen. It doesn't matter if you're U, XFL, USFL fan, you're committed to this season. And anybody who's out there saying, "Well, my team's not in it, I'm not going to watch." Bull. You and, and if you're saying that, you're the same guy that bought a cap, burned your Kaepernick jersey, and now is complaining about Taylor Swift.
0: So no, I. But they, I I highly imagine you're going to see those fans tune in. I mean, we had yeah, guys that like yeah. they were band like we had guys from the USFL well were Bandits fans, and when right. the Bandits got knocked down in 2020 for 2023, they just migrated over to the XFL yeah. and watched the Guardians or like something right. else, or they watched yeah. and supported a different team. Like, yeah, because it's there's football. always going to be it's a small contingent in the grand scheme of football, but like the hardcore groups, that's yeah. what like spring football is. So you're going to watch. You know, I think the question is, will they, do you do enough as a broadcast company and as a league to entice them even further and to then get more people that are like curiously on the fence about watching, watching and then committing and stacking up more and more, you know, that's how you get the casual buzz about, oh, it's cool to talk about in the office. I'm not even like a hardcore football fan, but like, I got to talk about it because everyone else is talking about it type of thing. You know, that's what everyone wants to eventually get to, but we're still a little ways off even doing that. I I do wonder what their digital strategy will be. Like the TV side, it's pretty simple. You have two of the largest over-the-air television networks in the country, both synonymous with football in some way. You know, ABC now is more recently doing it Monday Night Football again, but like, you know, they've done football for decades now. But like ABC and Fox, and you have, without a doubt, the two largest cable sports networks in the country. Like, yes, ESPN is by far number one, but FS1 isn't any slouch either. Right. You know, it's still, it's a it's a definitive number two. So, you know, but like those are good brands to be in. People know those brands very well. You know, the digital one is what I wonder what they're going to do. I honestly just basing it off my kind of just digging into like the uh, XFL YouTube page and what they've been yeah. doing off-season wise which by the way you see they're rebranding all the pages to ufl kind of they're taking like xfl ones and doing that slowly did they change their twitter account the twitter account hasn't changed yet but i'm surprised okay. they haven't because i don't know i think it's because the ufl is taken and they're trying to figure out what they want to do with it with like the tag because they've done facebook you'll you can look at facebook right now like yeah the old XFL page it's, it's the
1: on, page. on on twitter i'm like wait a minute there's mm-hmm. there's no you there's still no ufl twitter page
0: yeah, they, they don't have it on Twitter, and I think uh, I think Instagram they haven't done it either. Yeah, and I don't believe they have on TikTok either. But I'll have to check that again. Yeah, but yeah, but what they're doing on YouTube and what ec- the XFL did, and I, I think this is kind of smart for like video engagements specifically. Even though you can go find these on ESPN Plus, they're putting all they're putting slowly games from last year, full games oh, on good. their YouTube page now. You know, I know that doesn't really like it's ad revenue, you're not, it's not like paying a subscription to go and check it out somewhere. But if you want the most free and accessible way to get people interested in this thing and say your friends want to watch or something, doesn't hurt to be able to just quickly rip the broadcast and throw it onto a YouTube page. Now that's going to have to come down to both companies, Fox and Disney being okay with that which is going to be a little tricky, I think, because both of them, as I just said, right. different strategies on how they're doing content post live. But to me, it's the best way to grow a natural audience. Right. It's yeah. I, I agree hundred percent with you. It been... doesn't want to put up the cost of buying yeah. cable or, right. you know, well, the time to sit down and use a live time to watch it.
1: I've been making that same argument for years with the Canadian football league.
0: Well, and they're getting and then... their act together too. I, must say I well we'll see we'll
1: things. see they, they have been but we'll see because you know I always use the NFL because it is the the example of how you grow and build a league and be very very successful that the CFL has never really you know gotten the gumption to say hey we're gonna be you know if we're gonna be number two we're gonna be a hard number two no pun intended but you know Um, and just do stuff like that, put stuff on YouTube because in order to get the younger fans, which I don't think the UFL is ever going to have a problem with if it, if it succeeds Mm. in getting the younger fan, but putting that stuff up there for free so people can stumble upon and going, Hey, what the hell is this? And get and generate interest. Um, but what the UFL is doing, if they're, if they do it right with YouTube, yeah, I mean, because YouTube is, you know, I think maybe uh, did I say that I probably maybe I said this to you or not, but to me, YouTube is the world's biggest UHF channel.
0: It kind of is, you know. I think that's it's not a bad way of describing it, you know.
1: Because everything, if you want to find anything, I mean, hell, I'm being here in Japan. YouTube's my go-to for basically everything.
0: you know I, I call it the Internet's archive. Uh, Yeah, essentially. I mean, that's what it's going to be. That's essentially what it's becoming now. Like we have over a decade. We now already have over a decade's worth of content pushing two in a few years. That's going to be like anything and everything from 20 years ago, you know, and it's going to keep growing like that. And as long as YouTube, for some reason, doesn't have a catastrophic failure, it needs to shut down. But I think it's almost like a too big to lose thing. But like, that's the perfect platform. Everyone goes on YouTube. It, like whenever you do metrics on like most watched, like streaming and you include YouTube, YouTube by far is the most used video platform on the planet. Only, only one that comes close to it is Netflix. But again, that's because you have to pay, but like YouTube's YouTube's free. Yeah. You know, as long as you have something that connects to the internet and doesn't have an insanely low, like dial up bit rate internet connection. Yeah you can watch YouTube and yeah. you know that to me and many makes a lot of sense. But like I said, it's the whole thing about like how the companies operate too. Like, and I think to me, I could see Disney doing this a little more so maybe Fox would if they got the right argument, but like right one thing I do say about Fox, they are still very much committed to several of the uh, more traditional TV principles that is. You know, they want you to have the cable bundle. They want you to invest yeah. into the cable TV package. They feel like there's value still in the cable TV package. I'm taking this also from Lachlan Murdoch, who's the CEO of Fox, who has basically said these things in interviews and conference calls on record. So, you know, it's two different philosophies still. Yeah. Because as much as I want to believe that they, that should be the play, I fear Fox, especially given that by the layout of the league ownership. If I am calculating this right in my head, in theory, they are slightly the biggest investor in this new league. You know, if it's 50, 50 split and only one 50% and only one side of the US was ownership by that default, they are the slight majority owner in this whole conglomeration. If it is truly 50, 50 in terms of like the original setup with the XFL, you know right so i don't know but like fox would be the big thing would be i think the big player where i would say i'm not sure they would go for that plan with youtube personally but there's always a will there's a way if they feel like that's the best way to do it it'd be the easy way to get casual fans i think is promoting game replays are available next day or like midweek right on youtube i think it'd be a great play you know do a highlights package like the night like the day of or like at least that night and then throw the game on there like three days later you can do it it's very possible you know i again i work in tv i know you can do this it comes down to how they view the value of the media themselves do they really want to throw it out there for free you know can they get someone to buy a subscription with this value can they get them to buy a cable package that that's that's the final denominator Right. To them putting right. it on YouTube, honestly.
1: Right. And one final question when it comes to streaming and everything, at least with the UFL. So we don't, if I'm hearing you correctly, then we, are the games, and this is, it's a selfish question for me because um, are they, are they going to do this year, what they did last year with the XFL and stream the games on ESPN plus at the same time they're on other platforms?
0: Again, I don't know. Okay. I, I think they're, I just saving... want to make sure I
1: couldn't, I, you know, I, 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 I just I, I pardon me i'm I'm stammering here oh no, um, no it's okay it's no okay. no no but in our talk here i didn't hear i didn't hear that from and i'm like okay I'm, I'm thinking yeah they you just don't know yet we, we haven't heard if it's yeah. going to be i, I beca- think
0: we won't i think we won't know until probably around honestly when the schedule drops they're going to drop the tv and i imagine right. that's when you'll get it like you'll get the international broadcast like you know, who's doing that much like how both leagues did, or at least the USFL did that. I don't know if the XFL. Well, ever
1: last it. year, let me, exp- help me out here. Last year, did the USFL have an international
0: outlet? <sighs> I thought they did at one point. I know for like, I know for a fact they were on armed forces network.
1: They, that they were, but here's the problem there. Okay. Even though I'm a veteran and I have access to a lot of things that retired military people do here. Just using the armed forces network, you've got to be living in an area. You basically got to be living on base to, to watch that. I see. Okay. Yeah. Now, when it came to ESPN Plus, you needed a VPN, and you just it wasn't just any VPN would do. You had to have one specific VPN to access ESPN Plus. So, you know, shout out to ExpressVPN for keeping me uh in the loop last year with spring football because, it, but I learned the hard way. So mm-hmm. I guess if, you know, obviously the, the league is concerned about growing the domestic game, which is understandable, but there's a whole legion, even though we're small of people outside the U S that, you know, we can watch football. We're going to find a way to watch football overseas. So, And if that means somebody's got a pirate, uh, you, you know, the, the pirated YouTube, which, you know, that was about the only way I could watch some college ball this year was some guys getting, uh, some guys getting very creative. And then at some point I'm sitting there watching, it's like, don't they know they could go to jail for this, for, for streaming this stuff? (laughs) You know, it's okay to receive it. It's not okay to be streaming something like that. Yeah, You gotta
0: gotta be careful.
1: You gotta be very careful.
0: gotta be very careful. (laughs) Um, and actually I, I just jogged my memory by the way of, because I, I swore it was this, um, Dazone was the other one. That was the main international partner. It was so basically, yeah, basically what they did is they had 14 games last year, uh, the playoffs championship and, uh, one game select per week. And they did the as a live stream partner
1: really and it's i have the zone i didn't know that so i wasn't yeah really... i mean they
0: i knew i remember they put out pressers for each season i just was not 100 percent until i had to recheck that to make sure that okay. it was the zone but it was the zone for each one of the seasons they had for international streaming okay. rights all right uh, well last then, year yeah. and then like a select each like i think like it looks like five markets had like specific tv channels they would run through okay uh, to do that okay
1: well for now i mean i didn't know about the usfl being on the zone obviously ESPN Plus for the XFL, but you know I've got. I DeZone would
0: be ninety nine percent sure DAZN is going to probably be the UFL partner.
1: I would think so. You know, that's just a good given point. Their, be- given the
0: relationship with Fox the last two years, I would be surprised if they didn't do it. Right. Unless, although ESPN, because it's so international of its own company, I don't know. But like, I feel like DAZN will be involved in some way.
1: I would too, especially now since DAZN, yeah. DAZN has the um, DAZN has the um, NFL Sun in- NFL International Game Pass. Mm -hmm. which for anybody listening out there who's have who's tried to watch the zone on a google tv they've i've had issues with the zone and their app at least with uh with one at least at least with one of my smart tvs not all but if you have a phone you can stream it It, it, it's not a big deal but
0: yeah uh, i know the zone in the u.s is like the boxing channel that's all i know it for is like yeah just boxing but like tons of boxing and mixed martial art combat but yeah, they've got it's a amazing to just... do more research on DAZN and it's like, it's basically like the default international sporting channel for us yeah. sports. It's kind of yeah. crazy how much they have rights yeah. on DAZN.
1: Well here in Japan, I mean, that's the, the main way to watch Japanese baseball.
0: You know, I wonder, and I'm not trying to get too sidetracked, but like, nah, that's okay, man. you and I have talked VPNs. Yeah, I almost wonder if you could get a VPN in the US, get a DAZN subscription and then just like flip flop the VPN.
1: Yeah, you can like what you oh can. my God.
0: I, I could, uh, <laughs> cheat the system hard with that. You could, you know
1: what? And it's interesting too, because you remember the CFL. Okay. So the CFL streamed their game games for free internationally, but well, and in I the love, US. I love
0: that because that I use that when yeah. I had free time every time.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, a VPN is, is, you know, basically it's cheat mode and but you got to have the right VPN. And like I said, express VPN. Um, I've always had great luck with them. Anybody else? Nah, Hmm. because I don't know what it is, but they've got the magic to, to make for at least, you know, at least with ESPN plus and, you know, that's good. It's it's good to know. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're looking, uh, looking for cheat mode, man, That, that would be the one I'd use.
0: I most certainly will be because, uh, yeah, at least if it's depending on what I can find, I'll be honest with you. Um, this is the one thing that's going to kill me is, uh, you know, I know it's, I can afford it, but going back to paying $73 a month to do cable come March, because I'm, you know, I have to keep up with the league. I mean, I'm doing the UFO podcast. How could I go on every week and only go off two games highlights? The other two I watch on over the air. Like, you know, I'm going to have to do that. That's my other argument, I guess, if you want for releasing on YouTube or some free platform. Honestly, if they did on Tubi, because Tubi's free. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's only Fox's like, this is the only, this is where it gets weird because like Fox at least could kind of control more of the USFL media. Now with the split, like this is where I'm like, I really want to get to the schedule day and just see yeah. how they do it because you can't. To me, if I'm Fox, I'm not allow. I would not allow like ESPN to have like all of them in ESPN Plus. Well, and it just makes no sense. Same and, with like Tubi. If I'm Disney, I'm like, I'm not gonna let you have my games on Tubi. Are you crazy? Like, yeah, you're my rights. I'm, you know, this is the split we made. So like. I really want to see what they do. Like what the digital, like the digital thing is the main curiosity. It it really is my last curiosity
1: because I mean, realistically, I mean, the way the world's going, everybody's, everybody's going mobile and everybody's watching on their computer, smart TV and phone. And, you know, I mean, over the air is always going to be there, but you and I both know that, you know, with technology changing, Right, it's not so easy, you know your t v breaks you go buy a new t v now you gotta figure out how to read there's just so much that goes into bringing a new t v into the house and setting it up that you didn't have back mm-hmm. go say yeah you know, twenty years ago, and uh you didn't have to scan channels it was boom, you turned your t v on boom, you just click channel seven you're good, but i'll
0: tell you I'll tell you what I do. you did mention a t s c three I'm glad yeah. you did because
1: is it ats or atc
0: i thought ats ats okay yeah um i'll tell you if that if that is everything it's cracked up to be where it's like they can send data to your television via you know the signal like betting odds like an app or like some sort of sidebar on the side or like Mm -hmm. interactivity like that will help television a ton because like otherwise you know like we're talking about access with sports TV is basically becoming like the main Avenue for sports and it's evolving how they do content anyway, to the point where like, it is pretty much if not very close to being what radio was. Oh yeah. You know, decades ago where it's now a legacy thing and you know, even radio it's now like it's a legacy thing, but now it's like how long is radio, sports radio going to last or how, yeah. how's the radio industry going to look in like, 50 years because like i'll tell you i got out in i got out doing radio in like 29 in 2020 and i didn't think it was going to be looking great here come another two decades so uh yeah
1: well i mean you you remember you know the elon musk they were going to take the am radios out of the out of the electric vehicles And there was big pushback there. So with technology, still enough
0: people that use them, man. That's there is.
1: And when you know, when the shit hits the fan, hey, the phones are great and everything. But once those cables get cut, you still need to revert back to the old fashioned way. And you know, I think radio will always be there, especially. But like you said, I mean, just things have changed so much. So, yeah. Speaking of change. James. I'm set, It's a hard segue and a hard turn to <laughs> the other league I want to talk about while I got you here, and that is the Arena Football League.
0: Oh, goody. Oh, so goody.
1: we're, we're – I mean, I'm just going to start fresh because, you know what, I kind of, in passing, kind of follow what's going on with the Arena Football League that it's supposed to restart. Okay, what's really going on, man? Where are we at with everything?
0: So it is restarting. Um, The plan for a good minute now has been – that they are starting April 27th. That is week one. Um, have a 10 week season followed by, uh, one followed by, uh, two weeks of playoffs and then a championship in late in like July, in July, in late July. Pardon me. Um, they're going to, it's still 16 teams. It's going to be eight. It's going to be four conferences. They haven't, they haven't said anything on the, or four divisions. They haven't said anything on conferences yet. So kind of waiting to see how that planet plays out. But like the early synopsis is that they're going to at least do like, you know, the top two in each division play each other in the the playoffs. It looks like, but we're waiting to see that. Um, beyond that. I mean, I can give you the team names if that's what you want me to do now too. I can give you everything. Well, you can give me whatever
1: you want, man. We got, we got, all. I mean, we got plenty of time here. You know, you're
0: I'll read off the divisions and teams next. Okay, So, uh, you got the divisions, you got East, South, Central, and West East division. And some of these you'll recognize cause do have legacy brands. It's just, yeah. they're different logos now, different owners than before is the deal. So, uh, the East division has the Philadelphia soul, uh, the Minnesota myth. That's a brand new team. Uh, the Albany firebirds and the Nashville cats. Um, in the South division, you got the West Texas desert Hawks, which are out of Odessa, Texas, The Orlando Predators, the Georgia Force, and the Louisiana Voodoo, which is taking the name from the New Orleans Voodoo, but now it's Louisiana instead. Central Division, you have the Iowa Rampage, Salina Liberty out of Salina, Kansas, the Southwest Kansas Storm out of Dodge City, Kansas, and the Wichita Regulators out of, well, Wichita, Kansas. I'll explain why that is the case uh, a little bit later. And then you in the West, you have the Oregon Black Bears out of Salem, Oregon. The Washington Wolf Pack out of Everett, Washington, the Rapid City Marshals out of Rapid City, South Dakota, and the Billings Outlaws out of Billings, Montana. So that's six.
1: Did, did I miss Chicago Rush?
0: So part of that, I will also explain to you right <laughs> now. Perfect segue to this. So there were two other teams announced during the lead up to this. Um, originally, they put outwards of 20 markets that they were potentially looking at and were saying they were going to go to on social media. Two of those were Arizona and Chicago. And both those teams do exist. Um, The explanation for the rush is that they do have an owner. They have already done apparently a, uh, a press event to discuss what their plans are they are not doing a season because they felt it was not going to be done in a proper fashion. So they are pushing off to 2025. Okay. okay. The, the Arizona bandits, it's a little more is what the Arizona teams called. It's not the rattlers. The rattlers are still in the indoor football league. Um, but it's in, they're in the same city is what the plan is to right. be in like that Maricopa County area that you and I know so well. Yeah. Um, the thing is that it's kind of complicated. Personally, my, my, honest take on this whole thing and just based on what their social media was they were originally planning to be in glendale okay they were negotiating with the got with i well they were at least talking with to the mayor of glendale and they were at least talking with desert diamond arena which was the former home yeah of the coyotes and right. was at one point the home of the arizona rattlers right right and, for- and for anybody
1: and for anybody who doesn't know arizona Glendale basically, you know, you got Glendale in the west, mm-hmm. and you've got Phoenix proper central, and then you've got the east, so it's really spread out when it Maricopa comes County to is Mar- huge, It's huge. I mean, you can see the curvature of the earth because <laughs> I mean, you look yeah. west, and you it, it's. I always say Glendale's like going, basically going to California out in surprise in that area, so yeah, um,
0: kind of has that vibe. It really, yeah, I, honestly. I mean, like where Glendale you're at? is kind of that way. I've been yeah, there. Where you, I've been where, enough.
1: Yeah, where you live at compared to where Glendale is, man, that's I wouldn't want
0: that yeah, drive. I'm in suburbia where I'm at. Yeah, in Maricopa, but where you're so. at,
1: I mean, that drive just yeah. But anyway, I digress. But so yeah, but yeah. Um, so so to, so to keep
0: this going, so the bandits wanted to go to Desert Diamond, is okay. what my understanding was, just based on social media and like just gauging some of the stuff they were posting about. In comes the Arizona Rattlers. They were playing at Footprint Center yeah. where the Phoenix Suns play. They basically were sharing a venue. And this they was downtown used to be in Glendale at yeah. where well Desert Diamond's former name. They right. used to be there, but they moved downtown. They wanted to be in downtown Phoenix and more in that location where more of the proper like where more of like their footprint is for arena sports right. and baseball. So they went there. But here's where it gets weird. And where I have also talked and someone has basically confirmed to me that this is a move that was made in essence, because of the AFL trying to go to Arizona. So the band, so the bandits were trying to go to Glendale, the rattlers out of the blue say, we are moving to Glendale. And I'm, I'm like, no. Previous evidence or anything that they were going to do it. No one in the industry thought it was going to happen. uh, And I've talked to just out of the blue. They said, we're moving back to desert diamond arena. And this was after the bandits posted that they were talking to the mayor of Glendale about trying to locate the Glendale, put the pieces together. And the said talks I've had basically the rattlers blocked from what I understand the bandits from really getting into the market right to start um my understanding as well is that they have a deal with footprint center to where they can't have competition go to footprint center so
1: wait wait the rattlers can block then the bandits from going downtown at what i still call an agreement america, basically with uh, the, the old america west arena
0: well footprint center is what's called now but yeah but yes basically the two biggest arenas in the county they have essentially locked up and said well We can't let you get in. We have a, like, I think it's, if I remember the conversation I had right with the person, it's like a three-year deal with footprint center that you can't have a competitive, like entity in it and that they will work with the rattlers. So the only option in town that made sense right away that since I've moved here is Mullet arena and Mullet arena is a 5,000 seat hockey venue. Fits the arena football. It's just not fifteen thousand or so seats, like okay, where, Desert where Diamond is, was.
1: You'll is that at? In terms Tempe. of Tempe, okay. Tempe, isn't
0: there one
1: more arena further out over by the Indian Reserve, over by Scottsdale, they, over by the?
0: There is one, I believe. It's I don't remember the casino name, but yeah. I don't know if it's like suitable for arena football. Okay, okay. is the other because remember you also have to have it where it fits the nets. The ceiling yeah. has to be at least a decent size um is the whole spiel but okay gotcha the way but basically their next plan and they posted a video visiting Mullet arena and checking out the venue after the rattlers took desert diamond um it essentially they ran out of time they okay. they you know i think there was the people i that i talked to on the a that like are connected more to the afl they thought it was going to get done that they were going to go go to mullet at least my understanding it didn't okay. happen but I do believe that that still is the plan. They just want to recoup because I think Glendale was going to have, was at least possibly in the cards, but the rattlers are the trusted bigger property in town. And if they come asking, you're going to appease to them right out of the gate Okay, is the deal. So it's in city competition and part, and I will say a lot, a good chunk of that falls on the AFL for wanting to be in the market and being aggressive that way. But it's also a business tactic that I went, oh, good. That's, that's very friendly of you. Yeah. And
1: also too, I yeah. mean, the Rattlers have been around for God, 30 plus years now. So, right. I
0: mean, look, they're, they're the big Kings in town. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't at all think that I don't at all like misunderstand the move, you know, like they are being actively threatened by a league that wants to beat out their own league in competition right. and has said it in a public bait in a public uh setting several times. Right. Um, it's just that they they took the very extreme measure of saying, yeah, you can get a venue, but good luck getting like oh yeah, a professional yeah, that venue is,
1: in that town. is that that is huge. Though you know, with that said, I mean there's when with indoor football in a city that size, as spread out as as it is, mm-hmm. especially when I you know you can even consider the traffic, because I remember um way back when when I you know when i was in the navy doing my navy reserve down you know over by um um papago, uh, papago yeah and having to drive out to glendale heck on a sunday with good traffic that was that's a, i mean that's a
0: cross town for those that don't know like papago yeah. is complete opposite side of like phoenix metro right so
1: so i mean it's it's so but i would i would think that there's plenty of room in that city for two arena for two indoor teams especially given where Glendale is located versus I, where and I downtown think,
0: is. I think that the audiences can fit too. It's a big county first off, yeah. but you know, look, Mullet arena, which I think is still the plan. It sounds like that they're going to try, they, they want to play next year. Right. I think they just want to evaluate if that is indeed the venue they're doing and everything else they can recoup and not rush. You know, it's also Don Arbet's team. Uh, Don Arbet, for those that don't know, very, uh, successful arena football coach, championship coach for the San Jose Sabercats back in the day. Um, he was coaching the IFL for several years for a few years for the uh San for the um, not the San Jose Panthers, um, basically the Oakland Panthers. I'm I'm spacing yeah. on the Bay Area Panthers, is what they call themselves. Okay, um, now, but he then moved on from them last year. He now is going to be coaching the bandits when they launch. So you want to get this launch, right. You know, is the thing. Plus keep in mind, like we said for them, they're getting into a market with a big boy in the industry. Yeah. So even so like, you don't want to rush this, like there's challenges and interference. Right. But you can wait. There's and keep in mind, there's 16 teams. They're kind of the rush to get these 16 teams. Yeah. Is a story than the bandits being existing right now. Yeah. And I think this is a good way to time to segue into maybe a question you have about the 16 current existing because, uh,
1: well, I guess yeah. yeah, I was going to, you kind of, you read my mind, um, with these 16 teams. Um, are they going to be very blunt about it? Yeah. Is this going to be a one and done year with the AFL? Or are we going to have these teams around for season two? Because as you and I both know that the history of the arena football league, having teams continue I mean, It's been one franchise folding after it's basically, you have a new arena football league every year. At least that's what it was before with so many franchises folding and then, and then new ones coming in. Where, where do you see, you know, you see the arena football league with staying power this time. Do they have a decent business plan? What's your gut telling you? I mean, it's, it's kind of, there's, I mean, you know, you're the, you really are the expert on this because you've done the inside, the walls, the inside, the walls podcast,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: your arena. So what, what, what's your gut telling you? What, what do you think? My
0: my current, my current gut feeling is that there there needs to be, they're getting stuff on track, but they're very rushed right now. I, I do. This is very much something that is a course correction at the moment. Um, I'm very cautious. Um, there's optimism in that caution. I I do see potential with markets they have. And it's, it really comes down to how these teams have presented themselves and how they've done things since the league announced itself, you know, and it's a mix. I'll be honest, Greg, it really is like, here's, here's how the, the current situation is with the league. So when the league started, they recruited two teams from the NAL the Predators, and then formerly the West Texas Warbirds who are now the Desert Hawks. So they got two NAL teams. They then got out of essentially a collapse of the Champions Indoor Football League um, or Champions Indoor Football. They got five teams out of that league collapsing and splitting up. So that would be Billings, Wichita, uh, Southwest Kansas, Salina, and Rapid City. Right, I can tell you for a fact, at least in terms of we're talking about opinions and views on those teams, the CIF teams are not looked at as teams that people feel will survive next year. Right, okay. um, the CIF, for all intents and purposes, and rumors I have understood about how they've operated, we're talking about teams that have operated paying players base salary of I believe 150 a game, and the current rumored though, very much confirmed at multiple junctions base salary in the AFL is a thousand dollars. Not crazy if we're talking compared to the UFL, right. But in arena terms, I mean, we're talking like a huge, we're talking, we're talking a lot, a big leap in pay, like a massive leap in pay per player. So especially for the CIF ones right. that they're having to adjust to this cost. You know, And that's also coming from the fact that some owners also came from these leagues too. The Iowa Rampage, their background is also from the CIF. So you have six of those teams that are CIF background. Meanwhile, if we're looking at the origins of teams, the Oregon Black Bears and the uh, Washington Wolfpack, the Wolfpack, their start comes from semi-pro. Okay. They essentially are upscaling with the league's help to a AFL team. Now credit the guy leading them is former AFL AF two specifically with the Everett Hawks. There has been a team in Everett, but it's a former semi-pro team, you know, Oregon, Salem, Portland area that has had arena football in the past, but the origins of the black bears are from the American West football conference. It's about the same size to half the size smaller of the CIF. And, but similar pay scale in that regard, after that, the only other teams that really, I think get kind of notes off the top of my head for ones that I like go, wow, that's pretty nice is Albany because Albany's ownership is basically NAL owners okay. that were from the Albany empire last year that are not named Antonio Brown. Right. And they are essentially <laughs> learning from their mistakes and rebranding to a more famous brand in albany um and that's been going really well but you can see how very easily this puts you at ease like the cif teams with the budget raise uh some of the some of the semi-pro to smaller league ownerships um they don't add confidence is the thing is the thing georgia for example and this is this is a story right now that is certainly affecting things. So Georgia got announced as the last team of the 16 and apparently they are going through an ownership change right now. Now, the reason why that's happening and this is according to the commissioner is that rival leagues called up those owners and the arena they're going to play in, which is the Georgia state university basketball arena and basically said that the AFL is no good and scared off the Georgia owners is what their story is. So they are currently getting us new set of owners as contingency to get the Georgia force going. The Georgia force have been inactive since announced. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's also about two and a half months till season kickoff. Well, really three, but still things are needing to progress. There's a lot of that type of stuff. Some yeah. teams don't have websites up you know, one or two of them still don't have like full schedules out. You can piece them together. Right. But they are fully out. And two of them credit for different reasons. Haven't announced their venues yet. Okay. Uh, Minnesota, which has been very active lately and is owned by the commissioner's wife. Um, they haven't announced their venue. It's been rumored to be the target center up there in Minneapolis, but they haven't announced it. And the Philadelphia soul who traveling team have been rumored to be a travel team for a while okay. but they've been posting home game okay. pieces onto new schedules but they haven't announced their venue and so Is like,
1: ron is ron jaworski part of that
0: no okay. originally so originally he was reported by the philadelphia Inquirer that he was going to be um an advisor but that was apparently incorrect right he apparently has no affiliation with this version okay. of philadelphia soul okay um, and, the, and that's not to say that some people that are big names aren't affiliated. For example, um, the Nashville cats, one, of, I think one of the best new franchises that have shown up in terms of like public relations and how yeah. they're showing off. Jeff Fisher is not only an advisor, he's like actively trying to build this team right now. Okay. Uh, so he's actively involved with the Nashville cats, uh, cave Thibodeau credit athlete ownership, um, as much as I did just kind of take a uh, dump on Oregon a little bit cave thibodeau is the majority owner of the Oregon black bears okay so there is money there um there's apparently it's been stated that the louisiana voodoo are owned by a celebrity but they haven't revealed the celebrity okay so there are people that at least in some of these franchises do have money or know how to run it yeah it's just very all over the place to me and it, it apparently me, the league it, is also helping subsidize some of these costs depending on the market and what they can afford.
1: Yeah. To me. And, you know, at some point to me, it has a a world football league feel right now. And I know at some point here, hopefully next week or the week after, we're going to be sitting down, Dave, Dave and I are going to, Dave, Bran and I are going to be sitting down with Mark Speck, uh, the world ah, football league historian, Mm -hmm. um, hopefully we're going to have him on. Uh, but that, to me, that that's what this kind of feels like in the way you're describing it. That, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a lot
0: of, it's a lot of all over the place. I mean, I can even go further. Like for example, their website, it's a uh, run, their website, digital partner is, hu- is called humble and humble's history. If and you'll know, as soon as I say it, why it's brought a lot of contra- conversation and some controversy they claim is a uh, Well, they were a, they're a web 3.0 company. They basically have done a lot of investments into web 3.0 crypto, like NFTS type of memorabilia items at the time, but now they're pivoting. They're trying to pivot into being like a platform where it's like web 3.0 social media and web app design the AFL is a big gamble, a big gamble for them. They have a deal with like where they split some ticket revenues and all that, but they're basically handling the website right now and all the digital items. Okay. But it's caused a lot of controversy because it's a web 3.0 company saying web 3.0 and anything for the general audience instantly throws a wrench into any conversation. And they've been spotty on a few things with the website too, but like, You see it like there are, there's stuff happening that I, I see and I go, this is pretty sweet. For example, one of their partners, they just revealed recently, it hasn't been revealed via PR, but it's been stated by the league's commissioner on their new league podcast. And it's on the website. They're partnering with fanatics live, which is fanatics as of July. It's fanatics new, like live stream commerce show channel where basically they go to like do live events with and do like memorabilia giveaways or like interviews with players and things like that. But apparently they're going to partner with them for live events at arenas. It's really cool. But the thing is, you know, nonsense like this happened, the website doesn't get updated. So like, it's always a question mark if something like that is actually happening. Yeah. And then you have a bunch of people kind of like throwing mud at each other. Uh, I'll give you another example. So I believe this was 2 3 weeks ago now. The a- Lee Hutton who's the, again commissioner of the AFL, he's very been doing a lot of rounds on fan shows. It's one thing his uh, main way of getting out to fans has been is he'll go on fan shows, he'll talk about the league, drop a nugget or two and yeah. you get those nuggets and you share them around. One thing he did in that show is he revealed that the apparel partner, well he didn't say it that. Way. He said the apparel and jerseys are via Nike and it got a lot of people into frenzy. It's Nike. It's a big deal. You know? So, I mean, Nike's the top man, you know, apparel yeah. manufacturer. They're the NFL's apparel manufacturer and Jersey maker. You know, it's a big deal. And so we go on and people post about it, but then we get a clarification of uh, the arena fan, Tim Capper, great guy over there and yeah. crew. And he gets clarification. The sideline apparel and the apparel that the league is going to be selling will be Nike, but they're doing the jerseys via BSN sports, which BSN does a lot of like regional high school and like smaller league deals and all that. So it led a lot of people into a frenzy of complaining and it's just kind of the cycle, how it goes, Greg, you'll, you'll see them get a few steps in the right direction and then they'll, they'll do a misstep. Or something Uh, like this, you know, or two steps up, one step back. Yeah. And then the thing is the AFL, a lot of this, I think stems from the fact, and I, I don't knock people, it's the brand they are using the AFL brand. And I know some people, you know, like, look, the IFL has a good, has a quality brand in itself. There's no arguing that. Right. But when you, when the AFL came back in February and it officially announced itself to the world, you know, even with it being in the state it is right now and being kind of rushed up and, you know, trying to fill the gaps, that league still beats the engagement and public connection with the sport over any well-established league like the IFL or the NAO. And and that's the thing. A lot of people have a lot of connections to the AFL. They don't want to see it dragged through the mud by people that don't know what they're doing supposedly that that's part of the deal. Then you have half the audience that I talk a lot with and they're fans of the brand period. And they believe in the vision Lee Hutton is one is what many would describe easily as the dreamer archetype. He has grand plans, you know, but as you've said on the show, hope can, you hope can only get you so far, you know? And I think a lot of people are worried that it's the hope element and you keep trying to feed the carrots. And then you start worrying about feeding too many carrots and you're going, wait a minute. We still have to take care of the stuff in front of us before we can talk. For example, you know, Lee Hutton's gone on record and he has stated, he wants to play games in Mexico, like showcase games, like the NFL does. And he has part and he has people he knows in Mexico. He wants to do this stuff through. And I go, great. That sounds like a fantastic idea if you get established, but we need to be established. And I think that's what a lot of people come back to is like, Hey, let's finish the stuff we have to do before you start throwing those things towards people. Cause I like it. Don't get me wrong. If you were to tell me this a year later in the league stable, I'm good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. If you can do that feasibly great, but you can't, and this is what I've been frustrated on. And I've done a video on it when they announced a new at New York city in New York city on a press conference that was for the original teams on my own personal YouTube page. You can't always be horse, cart before the horse. You have right. to do some things by the book before you can just throw special things out into the in the wild like that yeah and, i agree 100 i agree that's where a lot of this frustration comes with greg because like yeah i do see good things these teams are doing but a lot of people are freaking out and i justify it at the league level as to what's going on yeah. you know there's there's good team there's team owners that i think are going are doing good things but the league very much is freaking people out and a few of these teams and the way they've operated slash have not gotten certain things done to this point does not at all help how people right. feel right now.
1: And then getting in and, and, and following on that. So for, you know, the AFL with the AFL. Okay. So are, the question I have is, are they going to be able to put asses in seats and how can anybody, you know, how, how, how can fans watch these games? And to me, that's the one I'm assuming, and I probably, you know, I'm, I'm based basing this on all the other indoor leagues that are on YouTube. Is the yeah. AFL going to YouTube for this season coming up to put the product out there? I mean, I mean is anybody, is any broadcaster going to fork over money for rights or Is the AFL just going to put it, you know,
0: show it, and they will come? Well, this what's this is what keeps interesting, and this is it plays exactly into that whole dichotomy of like love, hate, you know, fear, excitement. Is the league itself, in one capacity or another, has basically rumored since the summertime that and has stated in multiple occasions they will broadcast partners, like they are not doing YouTube; they are going to be on either streaming partners or on actual national broadcast television. Now, what national setup that is, that's up for air. The one that is the most common one that has basically been, it's near confirmed at this point. It feels like just given how it's been talked about or slipped up on NFL network, it seems is like the one place everyone knows it's going to happen. Okay. Um, if you one of my favorite podcasts that's on right now but with that's league affiliated is called flock you it's uh the the albany firebirds podcast really great guys over there jeff levec who's the team president hosts it he's a radio host out there uh for fox sports albany or capital region whatever they call it um and they host it every week and basically you know the home opener the first game of the year is all is orlando visiting albany on the anniversary of the firebirds uh 1999 arena bowl championship like same opponent and everything right it's like 25 years to the uh, to 25 years since they won that arena bowl and the way he implied it was that and it's been implied elsewhere like this too is that that game is going to take place after the nfl draft okay, and if you look at the day it's april 27th now the nfl draft starts on the 25th the broadcast schedule for the draft the first two days espn abc they do draft coverage um and nfl network does draft coverage the only one i know of that does draft coverage all three days is nfl network right and the way it's been stated uh lee hutton said it this way in his last in his first in his appearance on the first AFL podcast episode, the way it's been talked about with like the Albany crew is the draft ends. And immediately after the draft ends, the AFL kicks off. So not to mention that uh, the commissioner kind of slipped up in the summertime on a uh, conversation with folks in Southwest Kansas and basically said the NFL network is in talks with them. So the NFL network is basically at the finish line to be it. Um, okay. Is what it but that's like.
1: just only for, I mean, is that for all the games? I'm assuming it's no, no, only no, no. for a so select there, couple of games. there's more Because there's that, just no way.
0: No, it's not just NFL Network. I can tell you that. The other ones they've talked about, Amazon's been a common one, like Prime, where they've talked apparently that's an option for digital. Um, I know for a fact that this is via Humble when they've talked um who remember humble is the one that creates the website for them right uh and also the app that they have made for the AFL that they want to have games broadcast via the app so okay. you can also once they get it set up watch games on the AFL's app when that happens right um i the way they've talked though is that at least NFL network possibly amazon recent interviews they've hinted that there might be like a third partner or a different partner elsewhere, no matter what though, they have basically said they're going on like in some way you can watch on a national scale and in some way you can watch it from the comfort of your own home without much like barrier. So yeah, they haven't fully revealed it. The next threshold to do it though, will come up soon. Yeah, uh, The broadcast deal has been pushed back like twice um, reasons being they claim it's the broadcasters themselves that are trying to advise slash their PR team advise to release the schedule on a certain time frame. So they're almost like juggling the best time to do it, is what they claim to do. And they have said that occur- according to them around the Super Bowl. So Super Bowl week, it sounds like they're supposed to reveal the broadcast deal. Okay. Um, which we'll see then. You know, yeah. I-, I think that'll be big. Now, to be fair, the broadcast deals one thing um it's what the price will be on how they do it because one reason why a lot of teams do youtube at this level is it is much more cost friendly right at this level um history for the afl has shown that the afl has never made money off a broadcast deal that we are aware of um you know at least i don't think they made I am not aware of them making money on NBC. Someone else might know that differently. But yeah, you know, besides the NBC deal, you know, they didn't make money on NFL network the last time they were on, which is in 2010 through like I think 2012. And, you know, that'll be the question. Will they make money on this? Because, you know, besides that, you know, gate revenue generally is what the arenas do. Right. Um, and not every arena is currently selling tickets or season tickets because each one of these teams is on a different schedule right now. And they have basically been trying to sync it up and it's been kind of a challenge because of the different levels they're at.
1: Yeah. It just, to me, it sounds like, and I know, you know, when the first part of this podcast, it was Dave, Fran and I, we sat and we talked to Rena ball and that's Mm -hmm. why I'm glad to have you on at the back half of this, because, um, and obviously you haven't heard that first part of the show, first Um, part of the show yet i'll definitely
0: want to tune in for that first part because i mean yeah but that's why you know
1: i wanted to have you on to bring perspective to it because you know you've covered you know not only the you've covered really all the leagues very very close and you know i always tell people you are you know if i've got a question about any of these leagues i I go to you first rather than go to google because i know i'll get the answer I'll get the correct answer from you. Whereas if I go to the, the search engine, I'm going to get a hundred guesses and one of those will be right. So no, Hey, I, this has been, this has been great because the, the whole arena thing, you know, to me being over here, obviously I can watch the indoor football league. because to me, oh, yeah. you know, football season doesn't end. And with my schedule. So for those listening here, who maybe have not heard this from me before. So, you know, we've got the playoffs coming. You know, we're recording this on in Japan. It's Sunday night in America. It is is Saturday.
0: It is now early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning and night here
1: (laughs) in in Phoenix. Yeah. So, like for me, the Arena Football League are are watching Arena games and indoor football league games on TV on YouTube. It means I can I can I can start my morning off with football. Right. Um. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that the AFL just says, Hey, we're gonna, but you know, I still have access to NFL network and, you know, and and those things are great, but Mm -hmm. going back to what we said, you know, with streaming, just how crucial streaming I think is for these new leagues and how really, like you said, they need to get their act together and, and, and start, you know, let's, let's get a plan here because
0: they really do. They, They really do. And I'll, I'll tell you what, there's even more that really, this grinds my gears, um, I don't tolerate poor social media in 2020 in 2024 in this day and age, you right. have to have it. And I'll tell you the teams themselves, it depends on the team. Yeah. A, a chunk of them, I would say have all the platforms and they use all of them, but there's some that don't, you know, right. like they only use Facebook, which is the default arena community. I'm going to be honest with you. Facebook is where most of the arena fans exist. Okay. Not as much on Twitter, not as much on Instagram. There, there's more on Instagram than Twitter. I'll give you that.
1: But, well, Twitter's become a, 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 a cesspool anyway. And a lot of people are banding Twitter anyway for obvious. Yeah, reasons. I mean, it's <laughs> changed
0: a lot. Yeah. I mean, there's people that have left, you name it. Facebook's been the de facto arena yeah. place. So like what's happening is some of these teams that are being run that are like from the smaller scales, like I told you, they're, they're going to the comfort food. Yeah. But the thing is you have to be on all of the big three platforms, TikTok. Okay, lenient. I get it. If you if you can't do it, you can't do it. But Instagram is photos. Yeah. Twitter is basically photos and text. Little text. Facebook is the same and is a combination of both. It's not that hard. But right. what happens is is that you have these teams like I'll give an example. Oregon, who used to post on regular, on X and Insta, they haven't been doing it lately. It seems silly, but as a guy that's watched some other arena league struggle, I'm looking yeah. at you, NAL by the way, um, social media gets neglected a lot of times as a professional tool and they're having struggles. Now at the league level, it's a different weird mess. So Greg, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, so they have access to their Twitter and Instagram, uh, back in November, they actually used their Twitter and they liked posts that were talking badly about the league for some reason. So that was dumb. Whoever's running that. Um, they also made claims of certain games happening week one that didn't happen. For example, they said the Chicago rush and the firebirds were going to play week one at one point, And that is an old reply. Hopefully deleted at this point. <laughs> um, they also have named their Twitter account and credit. This is their website name, but they don't do it for every other account. They've named their Twitter account, arena football USA, but the others are named arena football league. So another disconnect on the brand name. Then you go to their Facebook, and I know you want to say something but I have to say the Facebook one before you oh no, that's it. okay. They haven't posted on their Facebook page since may twenty second yeah, that's bad, and there is there's hints, and this was asked they this was asked directly to Lee Hutton in not their his most recent appearance but in his one three weeks ago I talked about earlier in the show um and apparently he claims that that is uh problems he's been running into is. Some folks are not complying with the certain accounts and maybe some changeover happened and they didn't give over the keys is what (laughs) it sounds like. So you can see how this is very frustrating Yeah. because if I'm sitting here and I feel like I can partially run these things out of my off time. It really is frustrating when you're used, when you have the AFL brand and you can't professionally run your own social media you know and, and most fans won't give a crap they just want to buy the tickets and as long right. as it exists and it looks good enough but like i care because i yeah. know that that doesn't look good and people will talk about it that way and it me it means a little more when you can have it consistently across everything yeah and they, they've they been they and commissioner Hutton said on shows he he's he's been he keeps tabs on that stuff he knows he listens to fans but like that's gonna have to come to roost soon yeah. because of the TV deal dropping soon. It would be nice to have all three accounts active to post the television schedule,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. You need I mean, to have it, everywhere. Yeah, and in in spring football, which arena football, indoor football, if it, UFL, it's in that
0: category. It's, yeah, it's,
1: you know, because I mean, all those leagues right now are really competing against each one another for eyeballs, for you know, for attendance, for tickets, and all that. So yeah, you're gonna have to yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting it's gonna be an interesting next few months how this all plays out. So right. hey now Zach if they, if,
0: now, if they get things accelerated in the next few months, this is yeah. where my tweener caution comes in. I have optimism if things that continue to develop as they've been. Like I said, the Fanatics Live thing that was announced today as we're recording, um, or at least it was brought up on the website, it's a good thing. They keep hinting that they have not shown their whole deck, right? So I am giving them their leeway, but it's running out. Is all I can tell you. Okay. Um. Their next threshold is the Super Bowl. Is the week of the Super Bowl for me, basically. Yeah. The broadcast deal has to come out this time. You can't right. keep delaying it. So.
1: And 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 I mean, we're talking we're talking weeks and we're talking days, week weeks, days, and even hours at this point. That mm-hmm. something really needs to happen. So. Hey, before we wrap up everything, let's, let's talk a little NFL because we got the conference, you know, by the time this episode comes out, obviously the conference, you know, we'll know right. who's playing in the Super Bowl. but what was your, but there is one team we can actually kind of talk about. Actually, there's two teams we can talk about there's without, two. yeah, well, we, between our, between our bears and, you know, our Cardinals, mm-hmm. um, two of the worst teams in the league this past year, pretty much, um, do you see any hope? for either team this going into the off season?
0: Uh, I mean, I can tell you as a Chicago fan, I do, but it's going to come down to really, you know, can, can my head coach actually write the ship with a new staff since they fired pretty much the entire staff Sands, I believe the D line coach right. to, or sorry, the O line coach um, to stay with Matt Eberflus, which is basically a sign to say, as you know, Hey buddy, you're on the hot seat. You got to right. go to the playoffs this year. Like that—that—that that, that is basically it. Yeah. That's the first step. And
1: towards here's the firing. Here, here's a wild card kind of thrown in there too that people really don't talk about, and I think they should. But Virginia McCaskey, um, she's a hundred. She's, she's.
0: I'm amazed at how how she's still going. She, she's well. still
1: kicking. And she she has the final say. Mm-hmm. So if she passes away. You know this this coming year, I would not be surprised to see the Chicago Bears organization do a complete 180 on how they approach this team. I, I uh, really, I, because I could, I could see if if things aren't working out, dude. If they go 0 and four or 0 and three, I think that's it. Because, but you know, I mean the. Yeah. I just don't see how he could keep his job. If, if he just, if they start failing right out of the gate, which. You know, right. we, we, we know it could very well happen. Now the Cardinals um, on the other hand, Oh, go, go ahead. We'll stick with the bears here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'll
0: wrap up. I mean, I'll wrap up my thing. Cause I I do th- the Cardinals. I do want to hear yours. Cause like I do kind of follow them yeah. out here getting well, better, Kind of got, but kinda got still, it. still a bears yeah. fan at heart, from yeah. heart first, but, uh, you know, McCas- Virginia does have the final say. Um, I know for fi- I know just the way it's been taught, written up is that George McCaskey is really like, like he handles more the day to day, the serious stuff. Virginia has to be in the room for right, but because Virginia, you know, her age and everything like that, George does kind of become that right. su- surrogate, if you will, yeah. for the time being, and he's the family member in the room with the next power involved. And uh, basically he'll be the one taking over the organization when Virginia when she passes away. Um, you know, for the organization though, I mean, I'll give him this. Kevin Warren, I think he was a Kevin Warren is an office guy, great hire to me, and is someone that I don't think takes crap. Um, you know, he's got his own plate of stuff to deal with the stadium he's trying to build, but he's also made it known he does not take issue with success. And they did reorganize how they do management. Ted Phillips, he was a big guy that people felt like was interfering with a lot of issues over the last two decades. He retired uh, just last, just two years ago. Right. Um, I know he was a financial guy, but a lot of times people felt he was a, a person in the room that was making decisions that were not helpful for the team. So he doesn't, he's like an advisor, Roy, I believe it is, but he doesn't, he doesn't have any major stake in the bears anymore. You know, they basically gave that role to Kevin Warren and right. he does all of it now. Yeah. So it's not diversified between like multiple people. It's Kevin's job and he's a football guy, you know, Brian Poles, decent GM, but I still need to see him play out how this goes this off season. And can he pay veterans that play well? He's proven so far he's okay with just letting people walk because there's probably a cheaper version of him in the room somewhere else. Right. You know, and sure TJ Edwards worked out, yeah. but Roquan Smith also is an all pro linebacker that you could have afforded when you paid Mm. Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds, similar money. So just putting that out there and then, uh, yeah, then it comes down to the coach. But, um, you know, I think there's optimism. just, I wanted to wrap up that there is optimism. There is a good core roster. I just don't like Matt Eberflus. And I just don't yeah. think he's the right guy for the job. But consistency, and you know, it's the Bears' way. They give him like they usually give him three years, unless it's a complete train wreck, wreck and he won just enough games. Yeah. That's how well, it goes in the NFL. You'd win just enough, you show progress, you get another year. Yeah. You know, it's it just, goes.
1: it's, it's, you know, I, it's funny because when John Gunning and I, we talk on, you know, we try to get a little Bears talking on the Gridiron Japan podcast, and he's this hardcore. Hell, he's hardcore, more hardcore than you and I with the Bears, and we're hometown guys. <laughs> yeah, you know we we've built up. Somebody was saying something about Chicago fans that they have the great, the best sense of humor, and the reason why we do is because we've had to endure. You know, not only the Bears but the White Sox, and you know, if you're if you grew up a Cubs fan, then you've got right. You know, the 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 great self self deprecating humor is something.
0: The, the come, dark times.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I just, I don't know, I don't know, I just, I, I don't have hope, but we'll, because, you know, they didn't give Mark Trussman really a chance, they cut him loose after two years. I'll,
0: now I'll admit that one, yeah. that one felt like it was at the end, and what what gets me is, mid-season, yeah. Matt Eberfuss was like, and this is Bears fans too, if I'm gauging the room, they were dead set he was going to be gone. right saved his job when he took the defensive coordinator spot and Luke Getzi and company altered the offense a bit to be more reactionary pick two options for Justin Fields in the running game. Like yeah. without those options and the defense being reinforced by a coordinator, go right. figure, um, who's running head coach. We probably are talking about someone else going to Chicago. Maybe it's not, you know, I was hoping dream scenario was Jim Harbaugh, yeah. but you know, I get why he went to L.A. And again, you know, Matt Averfus, it's the way of the NFL. You win four more games. You know, they this is a low baseline. He set for himself year one. He did, you know, he showed a little more cohesion in the second half and saved his position. You get one more year. Un, unlike Tressman, who, as much as both of them did media gaffes in PR conferences and did weird things with how they managed games, one in his second year went from an 8-8 eight and eight squad that just missed winning yeah. the comp, the division to a complete five and 11 train wreck. The other was already a train wreck and recovered from a potential second year train wreck. Yeah. So that's the difference. You know, you yeah. can point to that and have j- and this is what always kills me, Greg. It's just enough of an excuse to do nothing. Complacency right. with the bears. It goes hand in hand every single time. Yeah. And I've only lived 28 years on this earth and it happens at such a regular rate in yeah. my life they are complacent I mean, until they have to change something
1: well i mean and that's you know going back to the se- late 70s mm-hmm. when uh george hallis brought mike ditka in because it was just it was like that back then and then they brought ditka in and to me you know when they brought ditka was not a freaking football genius at all but he you know he coached under tom landry and yep. you know they had you know jim finks was doing the draft i mean so they had you know so they had a the perfect mediocre coach for the abundance of talent that they had and they also had buddy ryan so but we don't have that i mean yeah so i don't know where we go with the bears i guess just hope you know again hope is not a plan but you it's, know that's all we got all can this, do in the nfl like you know, it's yeah.
0: not like we're worrying about survivability of a team. Right. It's just, uh, do you get, do you get the jigsaw puzzle put together right this time? That, that's yeah. all it is, you know? And then
1: for, and then for, for our Cardinals, um, uh, to me, the team really fumbled the ball for the season when they introduced the new uniforms. And from I, I, there, I hate it, it was just a train wreck.
0: So much. I hate those things. It so was,
1: much. you know, and again, we're going back to football fashion and everything, but when they brought that red Jersey out, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You had me with the white, you had me with the black, and then you bring this monstrosity out and uh, I I'm, am,
0: I am not a fan of jerseys that just plaster the name of the team smack on the chest. It's to me, one of the most corny things you can do with a football Jersey. Let the design speak for itself. Right. I mean, like, unless you're in time, high school, like, it's like time... the Browns when they slap Browns on the front. Yeah. Like, that's that's the most goober S looking Jersey you could have made. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, unless you're a high school team and a really, I mean, the only place where that looks good is on a high school football Jersey. But even then, you know, I don't know, but that's where, to me, where the ball start, the ball got dropped and you know, the Cardinals never, they never fail to disappoint. And when they traded Joshua Dobbs and sent him packing again, uh, you know, they had Kyler Murray, which you know,
0: he's still a minute. he's still a little bit, you know, yeah,
1: yeah, it's just go. it's 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 frustrating. and but then again, these are two Chicago teams. and for those who don't know, the Arizona Cardinals roots, I mean, they were a South side team played at Comiskey Park, um hell played at Soldier Field too. so they they're a South yeah. side team, and it's just it's just it's the Chicago curse, I guess, man. So now, we're just now you with,
0: can. You can correct my history on this a little, but I did, I was doing a little reading up seas, if you will, on kind of the Cardinals move to St. Louis back in the day. And unless I misread something, my understanding is that, you know, the NFL didn't want to go to St. Louis originally, but were forcing their hand, but basically got their hand forced when Lamar Hunt started talking about building the AFL in St. Louis. And they well, basically opened the gate to letting the Cardinals go once they heard that there might be competition in that market.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. Have you ever, first of all, have you ever read Joe uh Zimba's book on the Cardinals? He is the I have not,
0: the, I have not read that book.
1: So he has two books he has read. Um and, and, and Joe's 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 a great friend of mine. He's been on the show. Um Joe Zimba wrote the book. Um Joe I can never pronounce his. Name. I mean, Joe, I know you're probably listening. Please forgive me. <laughs> um, but anyway, the first book he wrote about the Cardinals was called "When Football Was Football." It's one of those books that is so old, you've got to order it from the library. It's no longer in print. Okay. The only the only print copy that I know that's available is sitting at um, Randy Snow's house, who does the World for Foot World of Football pro- podcast, because mm-hmm. I I let him you know, when I moved, I gave him my copy that Joe signed. I gave it to him to read. So that's the only copy and you can't, but you have to go to, but you know, believe it or, Well, you're down in Arizona too. So, um,
0: I got a library card. So no, I mean, I... no,
1: no. What I'm saying is he does lectures during the year when he's, he's retired. So he comes down to Arizona. So oh, does he now? Um, and now is that time of year where he's kicking up with his, um, his, uh, lectures at the library. He's wow. done at Mesa Library. Um, he he travels around the state, does does lectures about the Cardinals and the history of the team. So he's got that book, and then also two recently um, he just put out within the last year and a half, um, his book on the Bears and the Cardinals. Okay, and that'll have. That those books will answer the question, but in a nutshell, you know, why the Cardinals moved to to St. Louis, it was just a combination of factors. It was the AFL, it was the fact that with two football teams in town and the way the blackout rules were back then, you know, Chicago football fans couldn't see football on, couldn't see any of their teams on TV. Yeah. And, and so that. That and it was just a lot of things. Plus, too, you know, the Cardinals were losing money too. I mean, they were are actually they were losing money, but there was always they were always teetering right on the edge. And you know, the Bidwells have been horrible owners for decades, and it continues to this day. I don't care what anybody says about Michael Bidwell; um, the reputation of the franchise has taken a huge hit with him at the helm, from what has been alleged. From the product on the field, yep. The uniforms and uh, the uniform, that's that's a side, that's a sidebar. But even, you know, I mean, help, I mean, there's a, the Cardinals when they first moved out, and I, you know if you remember this, when the Cardinals first moved to Phoenix, it was with the promise that they were gonna get a dome stadium. And it took twenty years for to get them, let's see, eighty seven. Yeah. So it took twenty years to get the stadium. And so when they played at um, Sun Devil Stadium, I mean, they, you, dude, you know how hot it gets down there during the day. That's oh, yes. all I'm saying. Just so you know, they couldn't they couldn't get people in the stadium unless either the Cowboys were in town or it was a night game, one of those types of deals. So, so they get the new stadium, they start bringing and you know, the fans start coming. But you know, I mean, you think about where the Cardinals of you know, they they they've put they, they never put a quality product on the field bad man and steve kime don't even get me started well with steve i mean Keim that's and... its
0: own can of worms too <laughs> from that era which is ironic because like in recent memory the steve era, it if you talk like you know carson palmer and like post kurt warner oh yeah it's the most yeah. successful like second phase in the, tw- yeah. in the 21st century right. like they were one blowout loss away from going to a super bowl with carson palmer right. And company, it's still kind of crazy to think that they were yeah. if they just had their A game for one night in Carolina, yeah. they could I mean, have changed how that was. They've going had
1: on. they've had quality coaches down there. I mean, Ken Whisenhunt to me is still. Yeah, you know, everybody talks about Bruce Arians, but Bruce Arians didn't make it to the show with the team no. he had. They should have gone to a Super Bowl, you know. But Ken Wizenhunt was able to get a nine and seven team, and it really managed that team well. Because if you remember those playoffs for that Super Bowl that year the cardinals looked nothing like they looked at the end of the season when they started that playoff run they had they were fresh they you know it's one of those where they peaked right at that time even their record was crappy but everybody was healthy had Edren james was hadn't really played all year so he was he had fresh legs and it was just it was a magical season but so when you but other than that season when they went to the super bowl and that 2015 team in that bruce arians run where you know they had potential but it, it just it's just been nothing but disappointment so we'll yeah well i'm curious to see where we go from here
0: yeah i do wonder where what happens i mean obviously the kyler decision is a big deal you know or at least how they're going to keep going with him it sounds like they're going to stick with him yeah for the most part so you know and he showed flashes at the end of the year that he's healthy it's just I feel like more of his problems now are actually about his health than his own production because he's shown he's electric. He can throw his, his size and he can run, but he's, he has not shown much uh, dexterity right? and it's starting to catch up to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, he's great for, I mean, if you're, if you're drafting a fantasy team, yeah, you want him. but if you want your team to win, is he really the guy that you really want? In the you know in the short term and right. even the well, I mean the long do you term.
0: expect him to be the runner again like he was in his early years I don't think so no. I think he has to become and credit he he can throw from the pocket we've seen it but like yeah I feel like the runnability of Kyler Murray does is not going to be as what it used to be because I mean we're talking dude that's dealt with ankle injuries ACL you know and it's been a consistent injury plague since he's gotten into the league. Yeah. So you have yeah, to, I, that usually can, contr- that usually then is where you're converting yourself. Like, it's like Cam Newton, you know? Right. All right. Gotta be a pocket passer. If you start running again, you can, but A, you're not going to be as effective because you've had to deal with recovery. B, you're going to have that in your head. Right. That I might have something get messed up if I run too much.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting too, just thinking about that, you know, not every everybody has tried to be Fran Tarkenton over the years, but nobody can. So
0: it's hard to be. Yeah.
1: So, Hey buddy, listen on that note, let's wrap everything up here. So before we, uh, hit the, uh, before we uh, hit the stop button on the podcast, let everybody know how to, how to find you reach you re well, watch re you know, you know what I'm saying?
0: Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're all good. (laughs) Yeah. I, my, my best advice is, uh, Really search anything that's uh UFL Podcast. That's the main thing I would go for. So uh you can find us at UFL Podcast on your favorite on your favorite social media platform, um, or look up UFL Podcast on YouTube. We're actually expanding our roster of shows. Uh, like I said at the beginning, oh, it's been a long interview, so I'll reiterate this. Um, or not even interview, just conversations. So yeah. conversation between buddies. What am I doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, for some reason in uh, show I've never been on before, mode which is silly because I've talked to you so many times. Yeah, anyhow. Um, yeah, UFL Podcast on your favorite social media platform on YouTube. Check out UFL Podcast, the page we are doing starting now till the end of the UFL season and beyond. Most likely every Monday, we have around the UFL, it's your favorite pro football newsroom writers, personalities. They're going, coming together on one show, talking one hour about the UFL, the last week of the UFL, recaps of the games, interviews with players, coaches, personalities from the league that we're going to have on, on a regular basis. So check that out. And then the UFL podcast is on every Friday, or at least Fridays during the season, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern time on that same page gets you ready for the week ahead and any news from the week before so we cover you with the recaps we got you for the previews we have everything this year on pfn
1: and you guys are going to be busy you guys are going to be real busy start this is the busiest
0: we have been um but i'll tell you everyone that's in our group we're ready for it we like we're excited for it
1: yeah yeah, well, I got. I'm looking forward to tuning in too, and I know I'm going to be listening more to you guys as this as the year progresses. So, and if everybody out there with our little podcast, hey, we now have a Facebook page, so we are. All right. Yeah, yeah, we're at www. Uh, I, I sound real old now. I'm saying <laughs> www. But anyway, Facebook.com uh, backslash from the 55. We're also on Twitter X or whatever the hell you're going to call it um from the 55 um you know dave fran and i are old guys so we're haven't done we're not doing instagram right now but also you know hey we're at the sports history network and uh sports history hq um with uh arnie and not only uh not only are we there but man, there's a ton of great uh podcasts yes. out there focusing yes, on so history are. including joe zimba's when football was football podcast uh the uh the um he is the dean of the uh the the history the uh the history the history professors at the sports history network so nice. on that note thank you very much for tuning in and we will be talking to you next week bye-bye
0: this is hugh mcelhenney of the san francisco 49ers here is our football polka.